Hey everyone, this acts as a trigger warning for tonight's episode. We discuss sexual assault, particularly child sexual assault, and uh, many of the other topics that are just kind of chucked into uh, the milieu of David Lynch's Twin Peaks and particularly Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. So, fair warning. Thanks. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Carrie Nelson. And we love to watch. We love to watch agrees with David Lynch's vision of Canada, a debauched sexual wasteland. I rewatching some Twin Peaks. I forgot that like it is really anti-Canada propaganda. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like uh, I've been I've been to Canada a few times and um nobody nobody there took me to anything resembling whatever this weird fucked up red light after school special um, <laughs> the pink room the pink yeah. room Ugh. the thing you gotta know Ugh. about Canada I, I used to go there for spring break that's not a joke I wish it was but um, I went to college in Fargo North Dakota which is about three hours away from Winnipeg where you could drink when you were 18 so when I was like a freshman and a sophomore that's it was cheap <laughs> that's where we went and I can confirm that if you're in Canada, they have one song and it just plays endlessly. <laughs> There's no it's, – it's, it, it's not the song featured in the movie. They probably couldn't get the rights to it. But it is, um, of course, that one Nelly Furtada song <laughs> where she does that – I don't remember what it's called. But that is the song you just hear everywhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, they most, I mean, there's no DJs most there. They just play the song over and over and over again. Um, All the radio stations. It's it's weird. It, it, it the first year I went, I was not used to it. I got used to it by year two, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it's an experience. Uh, but what we love to watch, we're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. We're in our first theme of January of twenty twenty two, and our third week where we are doing a title that well, I'm just going to keep saying because we haven't thought of a better one, and we're a week. Three, uh, so not much time left. Which is when the when the small gets big, and what this month is is uh, it is movies that continued their uh, their television shows story on the big screen. We start kicked off the month with the Transformers nineteen eighty six cartoon movie. Last week we did End of Evangelion, uh, and now we're on to uh, Twin Peaks Fire. Walk with me, which for <laughs> we went from almost no trauma. We went from, hey, you know, some kids were probably pretty traumatized that all their best friends died in this Transformers, uh, you know, cartoon. But we're using trauma as a joke to uh, End of Evangelion, which is entirely about trauma, but like on an apocalyptic scale to, uh, hey, do you remember that show trauma. that you kind of liked? What if... <laughs> The entire movie is about trauma in great explicit detail. Yeah, I mean, it, I I forgot how much, like, Transformers is somewhat laughingly traumatic, but it wasn't to the children who went to go see it in theaters in 1986 <laughs> when it killed everyone. Like, they're like, to sell new toys. Um, 
I mean, there was we talked about the articles that were published around like my kid left crying because you killed Optimus Prime in the first twenty <laughs> minutes. Um, so thankfully, we're gonna we're gonna end uh, we're gonna end the month on the least amount of trauma, which is um, X Files fight the future. But I agree this 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 was not on purpose, but. Um, but definitely a theme. I guess they, you know, movies share their big tra- or the TV shows they sh- uh, they share their big traumas for for the big for the big screen. Uh, we're joined by best friend of the show, uh, de- by far our most frequent guest at this point. I, I don't know how else that could be uh, that could be counted. Rick's probably up there, but I have to assume Carrie that you are our most guested guest that's a phrase people use i'm gonna go with it uh carrie thank you so much for coming back on to uh once again talk about a light fun movie no dead moms in this one though <laughs> we did it guys we broke the street we did it great yeah grace zabriskie is 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 merely a shell of a person <laughs> an alcoholic smoking cigarettes and watching animals yeah. eat each other <laughs> yeah. just that though just, just not wants to be people that never were able to be moms. Yeah, n- not dead. Just wants oh, to be. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, guys. I told Peter a little in the green room, uh, Carrie, when you stepped away for a sec. That uh, so Peter and I have not. This is like our post uh, holiday. New Year's break episode, and a lot of times uh, when we haven't recorded in a while. Uh, Peter and mine's energy is like kids that haven't got a chance to play with each other for a while. And, you know, uh, it's very goofy. And some of our goofiest episodes are this. And I like that we like just were like, you know what, for this return after a three week hiatus of recording, let's just put a fucking anchor around our necks as as tight as we can and just (laughs) drag us down to the to make sure there's no funny business or shenanigans. So uh, we're probably going to get out some of that at the beginning before it gets really sad. Carrie, uh, why don't you introduce yourself if for some reason um, people don't know who you are? Also, this is the first episode we've recorded since your very exciting project has come out so i would love if you could share that a little bit on the onset since this will only come this will be coming out uh the the last week in uh in january so uh definitely uh there'll be there'll be still more stuff coming from that uh and then also uh this we we discussed this uh the three of us and feel like this episode warrants a trigger warning so uh Carrie, why don't you start by introducing yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Carrie, and I am uh, a big old documentary nerd, and I am currently uh, working that out of my system by working as the archival producer for the PBS series Finding Your Roots, which is airing right now on PBS. You can go watch it. It's uh, If you've ever wanted to learn about the ancestry of people like Rebecca Hall and Anita Hill and Mario Lopez, you can find out all about their families. And I gotta say, I mean, I'm a little biased, but it's all pretty fascinating. So (laughs) I, you know, please, please watch our show. I think, I think when this has, I think when this is coming out, uh, we'll have just passed the episode with Catherine Hahn and Pamela Adlon, which is a very good one. So That's a great pairing. The, the yeah, they're and their theme is like family scandals. 
So it's a that's a really juicy one. If you want some like good juicy PBS entertainment, please please watch it. That sounds yes. amazing. Yay. Yeah, we uh we I think we knew about it a little bit as a secret that you shared with us. Like there's gonna be something big to announce, can't we tell you? And then so it's it's awesome to be able to record an episode where we can just stay say it at the at the beginning because we know exactly when it's coming out. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so we're going to get into it. So, the you know, we'll just just to level set, if you've never seen, first of all, if you've never seen Twin Peaks, you should watch it. It's a good show. There's some great, great uh, things you can find online, some good resources to tell you exactly which episodes to skip <laughs> because it's, a, it's an amazing show until it becomes the worst show in television history for like six episodes. And then it becomes fantastic again. And also, uh, if you've never watched Twin Peaks, stop listening to this episode yeah, right now because it. it's going to spoil the entire thing. <laughs> it's going to spoil, it's going to spoil the whole thing. It, uh, I, I be from like a, uh, enter, this is true. We'll get into our history of this, but from an entertainment weekly quiz, that I read 20 years ago before I ever saw the show, um, I it accidentally like revealed like a little trivia thing and revealed who who the killer of Laura Palmer was like 10 years before I even watched the show. Oh man! <laughs> okay, great. I guess it's that guy. Uh, did you re- did you remember when you watched? Oh yeah, it's oh, one wow. of those things where you I I knew enough about David Lynch that I was like I think I'd probably seen a couple of his. Uh, where I was like, at some point, I need to be able to watch this. And I read it and then immediately was like, oh, fuck. And it's one of those things where I wanted it out of my head so bad. It, I can remember the image, the picture accompanying with it That's that so I saw. Because like, it's like, oh, I just want to forget this. Seared can I forget in your this? brain. Yeah, it's seared in my brain because I wanted it gone so bad. Uh, <laughs> it, didn't, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't work. It didn't change the power of that. But yeah. I mean, so if somehow you've managed to uh, stay away from from Twin Peaks, we're going to spoil the whole thing. Also, if you manage to stay away from Twin Peaks, you probably uh, don't know how dark it gets. Uh, And uh, it is an extraordinarily dark show uh, covering very taboo topics such as rape and incest and uh, other things like that. So uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll put a more uh, you probably have already heard a little bit of a content warning at the beginning. But just know we are going to get into some very. Uh, tough to hear sometimes subjects, uh, and so please be prepared going into that. Uh, what what we're gonna have to talk about, especially with this this movie that really takes some of the parts of the show that were there and really uh, almost like a sniper rifle points it at one uh, at some very traumatic uh, traumatic events. So fair warning there. I'll also note that uh, I think myself included, and um, I wasn't sure because you know I, I'd heard this was a prequel. And I, I wasn't sure, like, oh, I don't have access to the full shows before even the season two box that had come out on DVD. Maybe I should just but – but this is the – you know, I, I have access to this movie. Maybe I should just watch the movie and then watch the series. And I just – I'm saying this in case that thought has occurred to you or you or you did that before listening to this episode. First of all, if you did it before listening to this episode – you have made a terrible mistake. There's nothing you can do about it now. But, <laughs> but just, just an awful idea. Sorry no one in your life was able to talk you out of that. Uh, if, you've, if you're thinking that, uh, don't do it uh, because it is it is a prequel that is just – like I, I kind of suspect – we'll talk a little bit about the reaction to this movie when, I, when, I, when it came out. But I, it is – I 
I suspect part of the negativity is based on you can certainly follow the plot of this movie or for the most part, as much as you can follow any Lynchian movie without having seen the show, because it's almost a self-contained story of the last week of Laura Palmer's life. What it won't seem like is anything more than cruelty upon cruelty inflicted on this person that you don't know. Yeah. And and so I, I kind of suspect that that was the case of not all, because there's definitely a lot of critics uh, when I've seen contemporary reviews that liked the show and hated this movie. But I have to imagine there is a subset of people that saw this thinking that they could follow it and finding that they were somewhat right, but also going, oh, fuck this. I hate this. <laughs> why, why would I see a movie about this? Um, whereas um, I think if it's following the show, it has a lot more meaning. So let's let's start by talking about Twin Peaks. So Twin Peaks is this show that, uh, if you are not aware of it, was was kind of a uh, – I hate – it sounds like hyperbole, but in this case, it's true. It really did like, kind of change the shape of, of, of television, not just in some obvious ways by like a lot of the Lynchian weirdness that – because David Lynch and Mark Frost were the co-creators. They had tried to do uh, a project on Marilyn – was it Marilyn Monroe, I think? Yeah, Marilyn in, Monroe. In, it, was called, it was based on a book called Goddess. Yes. Um, and then they did a, funnily enough, which kind of gets referenced in this movie, they tried to do a show based in Fargo, North Dakota um, called Northwest Passage that didn't really work. And they kind of took some of those elements of both Goddess and this Northwest Passage show and kind of moved it to to uh, the Pacific Northwest um, and, you know, if if you're a fan of David Lynch, this is actually weirdly only our second David Lynch movie we've ever done, even though I think Peter and I would consider ourselves – I mean, David Lynch would easily be in like a top three director list for me. And the only other one we we did was Dune. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, and Dune is – Dune is the In only, episode nine of this show. And Dune is to date the only um, David Lynch project I've ever seen that I would say I affirmatively do not like. Well, it doesn't even I feel like a, a David Lynch project. I have a soft spot for Dune. I, I, keep I really th- I, do. Uh, you know, Carrie, it's been a few years since I've seen it, so now I have a soft spot for it, but the way that Dune works Then you is watch it. I yeah. see, I think, you know, Dune is better than I, rem- I remember, and then I actually watch it, and I'm like, Dune is way worse than I remember. <laughs> I will it also... Does, it does have that, like, it's David Lynch. I, I have to like it more than I'm remembering. <laughs> I will also clarify that when I say I have a spot, a soft spot for Dune... I need to explain that Dune is the only movie that I've watched multiple times that I have never watched sober. <laughs> yeah. And I don't plan on changing that. I plan yeah. on watching yeah. it many more times in my life with assistance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that I feel like that helps uh, smooth over some of the cracks. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, honestly, these are big. These are huge worms. Uh, we, I think we've never seen worms like this before. You ever seen worms like this? I, I don't remember. I, do, I, I don't remember. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't listened to our episode back on that because I don't generally listen to our episodes from the early days. No, but I not, feel like we did a good job of that episode. So uh, if you want to hear that, great. Also, uh, Aaron, the point that you were, I think, sort of uh, pointing at is uh, correct, which is why the fuck haven't we done Lost Highway, Mahon Drive? <laughs> like, why, why haven't we done Blue Velvet? Blue Velvet? 
Eraserhead? I was going like, to say Lost Highway especially would be so I, good for this show. I, yeah, I, I could see that movie rules. I don't yeah. think like, okay, so like I could see us being intimidated by the concept of Eraserhead because it, it is kind of a movie where it's like, what the what the fuck do you talk about? Um, like, I love Parenting. the movie, but you watch it and then it kind of like enters you like a fever dream and then it like yeah. trying to explain it to somebody, you're just going to sound insane. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't quite, I don't think quite know if that movie uh, lends itself well to the structure of this podcast not to say i would never do it but like lost highway and Mulholland drive would be and blue velvet would all be perfect perfect yeah. for us yeah. to do um maybe we'll do a follow-up month we'll do blue velvet lost highway Mulholland drive and inland empire or, yeah. or uh, wild inland at heart em- or wild oh yeah wild at heart would probably fit i think maybe a little bit better <laughs> Yeah, Inland Empire and Wild at Heart are the two I keep meaning to to rewatch. I think I actually just purchased the Wild at Heart Blu-ray. Uh, it was on like a sale at like the Shout Select or whatever. So I, I've been meaning to rewatch that. I I like Wild at Heart and Inland Empire, but they don't quite hit the Lost Highway, Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, like Mulholland Drive sweet spot for me. Mm-hmm. This one, this one did. Um, so it's not just in like the Lynchian weirdness, which is you know it's kind of crazy to me that like. Um, something like, I think this is right, but if I'm a little off, 33% of TVs, like, it had a 33% of share rating watch the pilot movie to this. That's just insane. Like, the amount of people that watched the the pilot movie was incredible. Um, I mean, that's when they would cancel shows because it only got 20 million viewers, right? (laughs) Like... Like oh, they, oh my god it oh my god it, it, this show is a complete disaster it only got um, twice what the highest rated Breaking Bad yeah. episode ever got there yeah, are, there are clips you can find on YouTube of like I think it's I think it's like the Phil Donahue show and it has like half the cast doing like a big interview and it's like this is so bizarrely mainstream for a Lynch project it had such a huge it was so successful which is weird to think about yeah i mean he was on the cover of enter and matt entertainment weekly and other magazines and it was like is david lynch the future of television which like i suppose at the time and i talked about this a little bit of chat we're going to get into this like you know he's a guy who actually had made at that point you know, a Eraserhead was like his arty project that got his foot in the door. Dune was his big budget movie that like nobody liked, but uh, or just wasn't generally successful. But I don't think people like out and out hated it or thought it was like poorly directed. And then he does like Blue Velvet, which essentially Blue Velvet becomes I, I combined a little bit with Eraserhead, like where most of his like career ends up going. And then he makes, you know, Elephant Man, which was, you know nominated for best picture and was um you know not not in the same vein as where most of the other lynchian projects that we would get was so i I think i think like how far like lynchian went into kind of the wild at heart lost highway mulholland drive inland empire type stuff or even um, i think it almost you could almost see fire walk with me as that like the the middle of that 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 switch where he goes more into that kind of uh, neo like consistently into that kind of like um, uh, surreal neo noir vibe. Mm-hmm. So it it feels like there's a world where at least he was this this less weird and slightly more mainstream 
uh, figure. So yeah, Twin Peaks is this this giant success though. But uh, you know, there's there's that episode where they first go into the red room at the end of episode three. That like you know was a, I read a great article that was talking about that that was like the first true water cooler moment of like 90s television where everyone was like what the fuck was that uh if you don't know what we're talking about again why are you still listening to this that's really (laughs) on you but yeah uh essentially uh uh kyle mclaughlin's character has a dream and he goes into this red room where an older laura palmer the mystery the who killed laura palmer that he's trying to solve and there's this uh the uh, uh man from another place who talks backwards and does a little dance and everyone was like what the fuck is this um and yeah th- despite all that all these things like kept this show into the turned it into a phenomenon um but as 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 we find out in TV a phenomenon that was uh, very short lived because uh David Lynch and Mark Frost famously had no desire to ever solve the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer. The idea was we're going to use this as a MacGuffin to explore the underbelly and the weirdness that is going on in this town and around the town and in the woods. Uh, And so you have all of these threads that pull out, but each thread reveals its own story. And which also, when I talk, when we talk about like Tim Peaks being influential, Beyond the weirdness and the fact that it used like very specific cinematography because Lynch and Frost had very tight control over that. The other thing it brought out was this idea of I think this like instead of focusing on one or two main characters, you have this massive cast that all has their own thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's part of the appeal too is because – while the main thrust of the show is very enticing and, you know, Mark Frost, it sounds like his, his way to compromise with the ABC producers was like, all right, we'll settle the Laura Palmer thing in season two just to get it out of the way. And then we'll move on to the future of the show. (coughs) Lynch was like very adamant that they not do that. Um, And then they were basically forced to wrap up the Laura Palmer plot line uh, halfway through the second season. Yeah. Which means that the first, a season and a half, basically, um, are very lynchy and very much feel like, uh, you know, the product of, of David Lynch's mind, but sort of filtered through what a ABC soap opera would be. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the fact that this is on TV definitely affects the aesthetics. Um, it affects the strange sense of comedy. It affects all sorts of things about the tone, yada, yada. Um, Frost was like, yeah, we'll settle that out. They worked with the producers. And at, I think there's kind of a narrative about the show that's like a very easy narrative to jump on. And I feel like it's a narrative that's like actually gotten co-opted by some very uh, dumb people in recent years, notably like Zack, Zack Snyder fans, which is like, um, oh, these producers, they stepped on this auteur's vision, which like obviously working in that sort of environment was stressful for Lynch, who like didn't want to, didn't yeah. want to, <laughs> he didn't want to like um, c- confound his, you didn't want to uh, uh, conform his, his shows to uh, that sort of form. But like Lynch was never fully attached to the show and the way that the narrative I think plays out like this was not his his sweet little baby that producers took away from him 
he left partway through season one because he was getting bored and wanted to go shoot Wild at Heart, and then this, they had to scramble. And then in season two, he walked away because the producers pissed him off, but, like, he also wasn't that involved for chunks of season two while he, you know, the the, the the episodes that we credit as David Lynch episodes, the first 12 or so, we credit those as David Lynch episodes. There's plenty of episodes where people talk about, like, oh, yeah, he was barely in the writer's room for that. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think the difference I, – I agree with everything you're saying, Peter. But I also think the difference was is that he was still giving with, – with Mark Frost. I think Mark Frost gets written off too much into the, the Twin Peaks thing. And, like, they've talked about, like, hey, when you hear, like, uh, you know, characters who are very verbose speak, like – Mark Frost was writing all that. When you hear Kyle McLaughlin speak, that's just basically David Lynch writing his thoughts down. Mark um, Frost is also famously not involved with Fire Walk With Me, which is very controversial. Yeah. Because yes. there are a lot of people that will say, how can you even have a Twin Peaks property that Mark Frost wasn't involved in? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so there was uh, – there definitely was that dynamic of like it, – it, yeah, he wasn't – he wasn't like a, a – a, you know, Josh Whedon or something in like the first couple seasons of, of Buffy or, you know, any of those kind of like new 90s auteur people were like, I'm treating a TV show like it's my movie and I'm involved in every aspect of it. You know, he had a partner and they had a good vision. Yeah. When they forced him to solve the, the murder of Laura Palmer, he literally disappears. And Mark Frost, frustrated by it, gets, gets less hands on to. And so you essentially end up with these nine episodes that are – I, I I said this in a chat. My my take on it is is that you basically have it's like pre Lynchian as a writer influence. Like the people that were in the writers' room for for Twin Peaks didn't have twenty years of of Lynch movies and the over discussion of film nerds like us to like really kind of absorb even like a quasi version of it. What they did have is a writer room filled with like other eighties drama, seventies mm-hmm. and eighties dramas, television shows, and new to add quirkiness and weirdness to it. So you have Lynch who just leaves, Mark Frost who becomes not hands on because he's frustrated by Lynch leaving and the whole show at this point. And so you essentially have like people who don't weren't were raised on network television and trying to add oddness to a show and like i think that's like what you get from the episodes you have you know the the, you know we joked a little bit about that peter did skip some of those episodes so he still doesn't know who a doorknob is but yeah you have people (laughs) getting sucked into doorknobs and then they're just doorknobs from now you have like what if people start taking a big interest in the civil war civil war reenactments and and enacting it with action figures and rooms and it's like yeah that is weird advocacy Um, for the pine weasels yeah oh god i saw that (laughs) yeah (laughs) so it's like they do get the thing of like you're right that is out of nowhere and odd but you're you're like you know you they're they're they they just don't they don't quite get it. So basically, I, I did end show- up watching just for the record. I did end up watching some of the quote unquote bad episodes because I watched. Um, yeah, I had to find out who uh, Edwin Edward Furlong. What's the guy? What's the bad guy's name? That was uh, Dale's mentor. Wind Windham Earl. Windham Earl. Well, yeah. Um, Edward Furlong. Got it. <laughs> It's like I don't, you know. I, sometimes I get surprised that like Heather Graham or David Duchovny is in the show. I don't, I don't remember Edward Furlong. <laughs> I honestly don't dislike Heather Graham. 
No, she's good. I, yeah, I, she's, I, think, she's good. I think her character works. I, th- I think she's great. I think that if, uh, you know, I was in love with Heather Graham, I would also chase her into the Black Lodge. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, it has some nice callbacks and, well, not nice, but like chilling callbacks and Firewalk with me, mm-hmm. which we'll get to. So essentially, um, did you guys read what they, they took Twin Peaks off the air? It was preempted by something else. Did you guys read what it was? <laughs> no. No. I don't want to know. Uh, <laughs> God. So it was off the it was off the air for about nine weeks, preempted by what else but Gulf War coverage. Oh, oh of course. Okay. Oh uh, <laughs> god. Uh, yeah, I I I mean I guess that makes sense. It's good it's good for ratings. Yeah, but it, to let you know, uh like when people talk about like American media just being recently jingoistic, it's like, yeah, that was the Every night on primetime TV instead of Twin Peaks, you get to watch Go- Storm and Norman Swatch. Oh, <laughs> oh, I wonder. God. I wonder what Gordon Cole thought about um, Saddam Hussein. He's um, a real bad fella. We don't like him down here. <laughs> uh, I, I, in case we don't get back to this, because obviously he's 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 not in the movie much. But uh, I guess <laughs> General Schwartz called for Saddam Hussein. <laughs> Uh, neither of them are in the movie at all. Uh, although you never know, like, there's some blurry images. Maybe one of them is <laughs> Saddam, Saddam Hussein. I always thought, yeah, I mean, I always thought it was just like a, a, a sheet, but maybe, maybe it's, uh, General Norman Schwarzkopf. No, um, that like, you know, uh, David Lynch cast himself in the show. Um, and I, I love, there is a part of like why I think David Lynch is also just like a, like a, just a, just a like a, but I don't know how to describe it. Like someone I would like to hug, I think, is because like I'm going to be in the show and yell a lot. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and sure. He's literally like, okay. So in the beginning, not to jump into this too fast, but the beginning of Fire Walk with Me is a TV being smashed, and yep. then David Lynch comes into frame and just is like, he's just telling Chris Isaac to go investigate another murder. Uh, the yeah. murder of Teresa Banks, a woman who died in uh, what seems like very similar circumstances to Laura Palmer, um, the central victim uh, of the uh, Twin Peaks narrative. Um, yeah. And it's, it's him just basically starting off the movie being like, here's what the beginning of the movie is going to be about. <laughs> it's I'm going to uh, two million of the financing I got from France is going to my a windpipe and the ability to yell really loud. <laughs> it's a lot of OJ to keep this thing all limbered up. Yeah. Um, and he, so he like, and like, I also like, it's another good thing to note that like people have read a lot into the Smash TV opening of Firewalk with me. Like, and most of the people that have interpreted that mean is meaning uh, David Lynch is trying to separate and somehow uh, bifurcate the TV series from uh, Fire Walk With Me and in the, in the say that like, you know, uh, your fan theories from before don't matter. Um, none of the none of the speculation you had before don't matter. And your expectations for what you're going to get out of this movie don't matter. And uh, I think that's probably if 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 you literally had Gordon Cole say all that instead of smashing a TV in a symbolic gesture, uh I, I don't think it would help the perception of this movie at all. People no. just don't like the idea of not getting what they wanted out of, uh, you know, uh, what is this? What was uh, supposed to be a piece of fan service? Uh, yeah. is absolutely well, and actually, it, it, it really was supposed to be. So we'll, let's we'll, we'll, to continue on. So it's preempted. 
they people are worried they're never going to put it back on the air because at this point the ratings are sacking. They solved they solved the mystery of 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 Laura Palmer and the show literally doesn't know what to do. There's a there's a fan writing campaign to save the show, uh, and so they don't quite get what they're looking for, but they do get uh, like six more episodes or something like that. And uh, that's when David Lynch and Mark Frost, for the moment, bury the hatchet, and he decides to come back. This actually alienates almost everyone in the cast. They felt like they were abandoned by uh, both of their leaders, especially David Lynch, um, Kyle MacLachlan especially, um, Sherilyn Fenn, and and, uh, some other people are like, so now you're coming back and then kind of changing what we're doing and focusing on different things. So there was a lot of animosity. Uh, Lynch comes back. Basically, from what I read, writes the final episode. Uh, like, there, there's a script that's turned out by the writer's room, and he rewrites the whole thing. Um, I rewatched the the finale, uh, the season two finale, before watching this. I still stand by it. Maybe my – like, I know it's tough, but it may be my favorite episode of the series. It is – It's incredible. Fucking it's so terrifying. Good. Yeah. It's so good. Um, it is even, – even now, like, the third or fourth time I watch it. I, I still remember the first time I watched it, just jaw on the floor, like – do I want to go to bed or stare at the TV for a while? Like it is, uh, it's such a, I can see why if you are a fan of this show and it leaves you with that, that you were clamoring for more a month after the show gets off the air, uh, they announced, uh, so literally like two weeks after the show's uh, goes off the air, they announced that they're not, um, they're not going to renew the show. David Lynch, a month after the finale airs says he's going to do three movies to wrap up the story. Um, so everyone, I, I suppose, and I don't know how people got this information in the age of the internet, but this is apparently he announced it somewhere and people were aware of it. <laughs> he just like yelled it into a paper cup and eventually enough people figured it out or it's some weird like tape exchanging service, like a Mr. Show sketch. I don't know, but <laughs> apparently people knew about this. Um, zines in the trades. Um, they're actually, I think, there actually was a pretty big Twin Peaks like fanzine culture. Yeah, I, I would need, I need to yeah. refresh my memory on this, but I'm pretty sure because like now there's like there's been a pretty long running Twin Peaks convention that happens. Yeah, I think that I think that all stemmed from like this like a fanzine culture that was happening around the time yeah. that the show was actually airing. That's yeah, I mean, that, that, was makes, my th- that makes a ton of sense. That was my theory yeah. because I knew at this time, like this time, that was like one way for like fan people to stay connected, and like that's you know like yeah. particularly a lot of sci-fi and anime fans and how they like would uh, figure out how to like exchange tapes and stuff because it was really hard to get copies of some of these shows. And this is probably about five years before the early nascent versions of the web have like fan forums, these like very primitive forum sites that are pain in the ass to use. You have to tie up a phone line while you're using it. But like, you know, you go into the chat room, the Twin Peaks chat room, but people, people used them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have vague recollections of that. Like, uh, like early, early, mid, mid nineties web stuff. But this, this is still predating yeah. that a little, I think like a little five years too early for that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, but that gets announced and then Kyle McLaughlin goes, no, I'm not doing it. Um, cause he's, he's legitimately, even though, um, him and Lynch have worked together for a while, he's mad at, at David Lynch. 
And this is this is also he didn't really want to be involved in season two. He was mad about the direction the season took and how they rushed plot lines and they got jerked around yep. and he, the fact yep. that and some of those really and then the fact Lynch that Lynch laughed Lynch and stuff leaving. Like that. Yeah, there was there was a lot lot of animosity. Uh, Laura Flynn Boyle, who was dating Kyle MacLachlan when the show was on, also did, had a problem with David Lynch and just the, the whole thing. It doesn't seem like a fun show to work on in season two, and so when. When David Lynch announces he wants to do do this do this trilogy of movies to kind of wrap up the story, Kyle McLaughlin's like, I'm not doing it. So that gets canned and he ends up kind of saying, OK, well, I'm going to focus more on on Laura Palmer and Cheryl, Cheryl Lee. Uh, and so it kind of takes some elements of some other things of uh, that he had been been working on that didn't, didn't come to light to kind of. To tell uh, her story. Also, of course, um, Carrie, you definitely know more about this than I do, but the the diary of Laura Palmer that Jennifer Lynch wrote in between seasons one and two. Yeah. Was a big influence. Um, yeah, they basically so- – I, I, when we talk about how they didn't want to reveal the mystery, like it's extremely clear that David Lynch, Jennifer Lynch, and Mark Frost knew – everything very very early on in the process and like there are hints throughout season one about what's coming but in the diary which was i believe it was released in between seasons it makes it pretty explicit without actually spoiling the show um so it, it makes it clear that like Unlike some of these shows where there's this mystery building, but the creators like don't actually know what it's building towards, they definitely yeah. knew the whole time. They just really wanted to stretch it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's right. And I think partially the way that they could probably be that explicit in a in a book that came out in between is, is, is the same thing. Like there's not an internet site where everyone's like, I read the book, look at these passages. Like, you know, you, you'd had to – You'd had to digest that in smaller subcultures yeah. for a show that that was still mainstream. So, you know, I'm sure there is definitely like in the uh, 91 version of like the AV Club comment section or something like a bunch of people that solved the mystery. But like a- as a whole, the literally tens of millions of people that are watching it are not really, you know, they're not they're not engaged in that from a from a spoiling uh, perspective. But that's where he takes a lot of his his influence on. He's able to mend fences with Kyle McLaughlin and he gets some financing, $10 million from a French company to do a movie. And but Kyle McLaughlin then, even though he's mended fences with David Lynch, decides um, decides that he doesn't want to get typecast, uh, which in retrospect always just feels really weird. It's like, well, you've kind of been doing this for a while now. You're putting your foot down. Like, even if you get out of the Lynchian stuff, like, have you seen The Hidden? <laughs> like, like it's it's a weird time now to be like I'm gonna not be Kyle McLaughlin-y. I mean, I don't... Time for me to do Showgirls. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a change, and he definitely understands what movie he's in in that one. Um, but yeah, so uh, so he he has Kyle McLaughlin for five days. So he writes. Uh, Kyle McLaughlin was originally going to s- uh, solve the Teresa. Uh, Teresa Banks. Teresa Banks 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 Teresa Banks uh, murder instead he writes this whole other thing with Chris Isaac which I kind of and Kiefer Sutherland's so good we'll talk about that when we get to the movie I, I kind of love that the way that all worked out and again zero in more on the last week of Laura Palmer's life uh, pissed off a lot of people because people were exp- uh, you know 
season two of Twin Peaks ends on one of the biggest cliffhangers if you're a fan of the show of all time. Your your hero is in the red room in the Black Lodge, uh, and Bob, the evil monster that's possessed, has been the essentially the the main evil in the show is now possessed our hero that we love and he's fucking smashing his head into mirrors and talking about toothpaste um <laughs> also yet again it's it's amazing that one of david lynch's you know I'm, I'm, i know there's legitimate reasons for this one of david lynch's absolute favorite things to do in all the sequels to twin peaks is deny people what they want which is dale cooper oh god <laughs> being yep. a cutie drinking yeah. coffee and eating pie and donuts, and then uh, not being um, a husk of a man. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I wish I wish we could tell you wh- when that's going to flip for you, Peter. But I, it would be a spoiler. But oh, at some don't. point, we're going to. No, I'm not. I'm not going to say anything. But yes, oh, as we're listening, you're- as you're listening to this, I probably have finished the show. But um, as we're recording it, um, I am about six episodes into the return. Um, so I know a little bit on where the show was going, but, uh, <laughs> but it, you, it's you literally how much 18 hours. It's 18 hours. It is an 18 hour show. But that's a, that's a perfect jumping off to kind of get into our experience. So yeah, so this movie comes out. It doesn't, it, 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 it has some hints into like, um, closes a few like, uh, loose ends from the show as well as like, at least acknowledges that we know where we've left all of you viewers. Uh, is is generally critically derided, makes four million dollars of its budget on a ten million, and everyone kind of um, moves on from it. And that would have been the ending. I want to. I'm going to talk about my experience with that as it's ending here in a second. But as we all know, something we're not going to talk about explicitly in one of the best versions of should we bring back properties that people love in this era of endless television that we're all in, they let Mark Frost and David Lynch mended fences. 25 years passes between between the show, so almost everyone that was in the cast that had animosity has, you know, moved past it and has also just, you know, it's been something that has continued to exist in the pop culture ether. Um, and they get to do 18 more episodes all directed by David Lynch as one full giant wrap up to the story, um, and it's that, amazing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. Um, we, uh, w- the three of us, will definitely talk about that as as Peter finishes it, and I also kind of have a, have a hankering to rewatch. Uh, as well with all this discussion about it, but well, but it, it is a show that where this movie fits is it's one of the most popular shows of the the nineties. Uh, this movie is ends up being from a lot of fans' perspective this giant middle finger to finally getting some closure of a cliffhanger. Once again, not quite understanding what David Lynch ever wants to do, um, and then somehow we did get more TV show later on. Um, so. My experience with Twin Peaks was uh, I I discovered David Lynch through Mulholland Drive. I I, I uh, was a freshman in college. I don't even think I'd seen Blue Velvet yet. I think I, I sought out Blue Velvet afterwards. And um, Roger Ebert gave Mulholland Drive four stars and uh, talked about how surreal and weird it was. So I went and saw it at the Fargo Theater, which was this like one screen art house theater in town, which is so kind of weird for a town of 100,000 people to even have an art house theater, but I did visit that a lot. Um, and I I remember no one could go with me. I called my friends and they're like, I have studying for a final and stuff like that. So I went 
by myself to see it and was just completely in awe and then started to scramble to find anything I can could by David Lynch, watch Blue Velvet, watched Eraserhead, which I definitely had one of those experiences I remember still like in a in a um, astronomy class in college uh, where I was with friends about 20 minutes early describing what I had just seen earlier that morning watching Eraserhead, uh, which was probably what that podcast episode would be like, Peter. But I was just like, you just – I don't – and then there's this. Yeah, it was kind of one of those <laughs> things. Um, and uh, – Twin Peaks, though, this is like pre – like they hadn't released it on DVD yet. So I was able to go to a blockbuster um, in Fargo and I found they had the international version of the pilot. So I watched that back in college and then um, – which then I remember being super bummed because the, the – have you guys ever seen the international, like the movie cut? Yes. That they I, they revealed Bob. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. I just thought I was watching the pilot. Oh, no. So, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was just like, oh, cool. They have the pilot of Twin Peaks. Great. Um, I didn't know there was until after I watched it. And I'm like, man, they reveal kind of the ending pretty quick. I heard this is a big mystery. <laughs> and then I went online and I'm like, oh, fuck. That was the wrong I found pilot. Out I found out too much. Then somewhere like a year later, then I also find out that Leland Palmer. God damn it. <laughs> I, this, yeah, lay with your wheel about like, endless. I, I just kept tripping. I was a fucking rate gag of The Simpsons trying to not to go in fresh to Twin Peaks. That's That feels like some shit that they do with anime where they're like, okay, we need something that's short enough to fit on a tape because people aren't going to buy whole seasons. Like let's let's edit uh a large chunk of the show out so that it's basically yeah. just like a two-hour movie yeah that's weird um, so so i ended up getting the first season and watching i don't think all of it but some of it but i remember being stressed out about it and this is uh, peter knows me well enough to know like my completionist streak but i think i maybe have stopped at episode three and four because at that point there was no season two out on dvd and no way to watch it um, mm. So I was like, well, what am I going to do? Get to the end of this and then be all annoyed that I can't like go further? Uh, so I just never ended up watching more of it. And then the season two DVDs came out. And unlike the first season, because it was more episodes, it was like 150 bucks or something. And at the time, I, like, I'm like, eh, I don't have $150 to spend on this. So it kind of became like I watched everything David Lynch. I love David Lynch. I never got around to Twin Peaks. And it wasn't until it came on Netflix like six or seven years ago. That I'm like, I'm going to sit down and watch all of this. Um, and I did in pretty quick succession. Uh, I can't believe it's been like six or seven years now. But it was like when the dissolve was still a thing before it was a Facebook group. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, just, you know, I thought that the, the, the bad episodes of season two were worse than everyone told me. Uh, but otherwise, uh, fucking just uh, adored it. And, you know, I actually thought, like, before we get into the movie proper, like, I thought that Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, I gave it five stars immediately. And I just, like, loved it because it, you know, and again, I'm coming in from the perception of having seen what type of movies Lynch is interested, especially in making afterwards, which are things that are less grounded in even the reality of Blue Velvet and more in a nightmarish dream neo-noir scape like, like um, Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive. And it just felt like the, like the perfect 
end cap to me. It really did. Like, at this point, this is even before I even knew the return was coming. Like, I, of course, had definitely been more than fine with the fact that I wasn't going to get the endings I expected from a, from a, from a Lynch property. But that also there was something about this, this, story of this figure that we had only heard about through other people's narratives and snippets of videos and diaries on the TV show, that we get this thing that's kind of devoted to to her life, makes her a very real character, and has like almost a weird peaceful ending that she gets to exit. Uh, you know, there's there's something um there's something like really after the trauma that you witness in this movie and the trauma that you experienced through two seasons of television through other people's perspective, there's something uh, of getting to see like a some sort of peaceful resolution in the last moment being like a, a beautiful image of Cheryl Lee on screen um, that like that like led to a peace in something that is very much violent and not peaceful. So yeah. I – Again, I, I understand that by the time I'm seeing, I'm coming with a lot more knowledge, both of what I was going to get out of this and also from the series and where Lynch goes afterwards. But I thought this was like just a moving, gut-wrenching way to end the series that I loved. I was I was somewhat truly I, – I wouldn't say I was fully surprised, but I was somewhat surprised by everyone hating this because it felt like, man, I get I'm coming from binging this all within you know a few-month time span, but like – Wow, what a perfect ending to to the Twin Peaks saga or whatever you want to call it. And so that's kind of was my experience. Now, of course, I was the first people person that like once not one of the first people, but I was at that point could just completely into the idea of when the return got announced, probably like a year later, and you know uh, subscribed to Showtime that week so I could watch them all as they came out. Uh, and I think that is another perfect ending to the series. But I think much like um, we talked about last week with Evangelion, Peter, that uh, I'm also fine with this being an ending to the series. I think it I think it works really well with this idea of evil existing in the world and how you're able to escape kind of a sick, brutal world or town or peaks or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of my history with it and where, where I fell with it. Peter, um, so how did you come to Twin Peaks? Um, a, by the time that Twin Peaks was in my, uh, it, it, like by the time that I got to college, like Twin Peaks was already sort of like a cult hipstery nerd thing. And like I had friends with Twin Peaks, like uh, shirts and uh, friends that were really into uh, Lynch would be like, you haven't watched Twin Peaks? Is it, you haven't watched Twin Peaks yet? You haven't watched Twin Peaks yet? Because I, during high school, I had seen – sorry, during junior high and high school, I had seen Blue Velvet and uh, Eraserhead and Mulholland Drive and all that and sort of watched them as pieces of um, film history less than um, need to be completionist about David Lynch. Um, and so, like, I came into it being like, this is culturally important and, like, people never tell me to watch crime dramas from the early 90s, so uh, I should get to this. You haven't seen Spencer for Hire? <laughs> <laughs> very, like, very little dramatic, like, comedy shows have stuck with people, but very, very yeah. few, like, dramatic TV shows, I think, stick around the way like, none stick around the way Twin Peaks did um, and uh, I watched the first season in college and uh, I kind of at that point had been reading and talking to friends and I kind of knew that the show didn't have a definitive ending 
But at the end of the first season, you kind of know a little bit more about Laura Palmer's murder. And it was like, that's kind of all I need. Because I wasn't looking for what drew me to the show was not me wanting Spencer for hire or Murder, She Wrote, or I wasn't looking for a clean, uh, dr- dramatic closure on the show because I had I was going in with different expectations. And I think going in with yeah. different expectations really does help the enjoyment of the show um, because I, I, I watched season one and I had a friend and a couple other people be like, don't even bother with season two. Uh, you're going to hate it. Like the last episode's okay, but like, you know, it's not worth it to get there. And so I just stopped watching and I was like, I enjoyed watching season one. I'm done here. And it wasn't until recently that I was like, started talking to more people and I was like, oh, well, I kind of need season two to f- end season two. And then if I don't end season two, I can't watch Fire Walk with me. And that's like one yeah. of my last lynches left. Uh and uh, so, yeah, let's 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 do it. I'm finally and I finally want to get on the return bandwagon <laughs> four years late, um, five years late, I guess now. Um, and uh, yeah, I very much enjoyed the first half of the season and the finale and even enjoyed some of those sort of uh, weaker episodes uh, towards the towards leading up to the finale. Um, but yeah, I just didn't I, I, I don't have a long history with this because basically I was told not to watch season two. And if you don't watch season two. You kind of are only, as you knew, Aaron, you're kind of only like partly invested in what this universe is because you haven't been, you haven't been um, in the transcendental meditation, strange uh, transcendentalism, Buddhism mix that David Lynch was trying to, to fulfill. Um, and I feel like the end of the Laura Palmer saga is like pretty much closed with episode 12 in a sort of satisfying way. And yeah. then the movie I, I just getting to now for the first time ever, um, I, I, I feel like goes and goes back and like fills in gaps without being a prequel. <laughs> like it doesn't feel like yeah. a prequel to me. Yeah. No, it just feels like what it's doing is, is that David Lynch slowly was growing compassion for Laura throughout the series as he was writing about her and st- not to take a step too far back, but like the shit was inspired by Marilyn Monroe and the desire to, or, yeah. you know, they were kind of hired to do a Marilyn Mo- Monroe project. And then they got so far away from wanting to do a Marilyn Monroe project <laughs> uh, to the point that they were like, um, they were uh, suggesting that RFK had Marilyn Monroe killed and then the project was just killed instead. Um, the That's probably, probably for the best. Yeah, probably for the best. Um, well, we got this. Um, we got this. So that's fine. Um, but the, the, the sort of thought. Also, about- the. Sorry, just really quick too. Also, the Cheryl like Cheryl Lee was just a nobody that she hired. That she wanted a, a, a local person that could you know fit in plastic. And then David Lynch, as they started doing the series, like, oh, you are an actor. Oh, great, you know. And then realized like what what a good actress she was. Yeah. And that's why they they wrote Maddie in season two. But like the combination of like the snippets you get of Laura Palmer also was like Lynch was like, oh, I. Like, I want to tell her story as played by Cheryl Lee. Yeah. And I mean, he also was like, you know, you're a really good actor, but we're, we're I'm going to kill you again. Um, but uh, he, <laughs> I got some great news today, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's like a mirror. Are you familiar with a mirror? It's just like that. You are just like uh, the brunette version of Laura Palmer. 
Do you Hope get it? Hope you have a great therapist. It's, it, I think it's a great idea. Why do you look so sad? Um, <laughs> and for all of the complicated things that the cast members say about the show, like Cheryl Lee consistently has amazing oh, yeah. things to say about working yes. on the project, about Laura Palmer, about David Lynch. Yeah. Like she got into the material and was very, very she attached did. to the, her character and the story that was being told the whole way through. I, Which yeah. I don't. I don't want to fully interrupt Peter's like uh, history there, but like I would just know like that. That's that is actually somewhat surprising because if you you think about someone who would like that was like she, she Kyle MacLachlan, you can say who was so worried about being type typecast. Like he even had other roles at the time that I think like people could recognize him as. Like Cheryl Lee was Laura Palmer for the you know for. Not just the first few of the show, but I think even though she's done a lot of cool things afterwards, like the fact that she has totally embraced like the character and and um, you know feels so much uh, simpatico with with uh, being able to portray someone who had gone through this stuff, I think is 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 amazing. Yeah. She her, reading her interviews leading up to the return about how excited she was to do it. Uh, it's that at that point, I guess it did seem like everyone was super excited to get that opportunity. To do it, uh, but yeah, it's uh, Cheryl Lee seems like she rules. But sorry, Peter. Oh no, 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 it's good. I but yeah, I I think where I was kind of pointed to is the thing that I like about Fire Walk with Me is that I'm not connecting with it as like I needed some sort of sense of literalist closure with the yeah. series. I'm connecting with it because I wanted to know more about who Laura Palmer was. This is someone that I was introduced with to as a mysterious death and the concept of a, a fridged woman. She's basically like, she's also referred to as like a MacGuffin, I think very often yeah. in articles. Like she's sort of just a device to get other plots in, in, in order. And David Lynch, I think over while he was writing the series, not just for the actor, uh, for Cheryl Lee, but also like for the character started to grow compassion for what Laura Palmer went through instead of just leaving her as a beautiful murdered girl. And yeah. through that, um, he started to develop in his head the sort of like, well, what what did she go through? And by season two, he's even... I think people disconnect the movie too much from season two of the show. Um, the themes that they set yeah. up for season two, or sorry, for Firewalk With Me, are all set up in season two. Notably, 100%. the, fact, notably uh, the yeah. fact that Laura Palmer's death is given almost a uh, a heroic martyrdom to it that she elected almost to die like she she was chucked herself into her trauma as a way to try and defeat it like she died gloriously in battle um and she wasn't just like a, a, a weak victim like that's that's not what david lynch eventually had in mind for for yeah. laura palmer he 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 had someone who like for some reason grew more powerful after her death and the Marilyn Monroe thing is super interesting because we kind of skimmed over it earlier, but like the Marilyn Monroe thing is super interesting because he even talks about this in interviews, how he says like, oh, maybe I've written a bunch of movies about Mar Marilyn Monroe because what you're saying about Laura Palmer could also apply to Mulholland Drive. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, if you look at the poster for Inland Empire, the tagline is woman in trouble. And I feel like yeah. connecting back like this sort of Hitchcockian idea of a blonde woman uh, who's in trouble and the plot needs to figure out a way to uh, to get her out of it, whether it's through her being ultimately defeated by her vices or um, her and 
usually a man uh, helping her uh, escape that sort of trap. Um, David Lynch wasn't interested in, in enacting sort of like the Hitchcock, even though he gets compared to Hitchcock sometimes. He he wasn't really interested in enacting like no. a Hitchcockian idea of this woman that needs to be saved or, or condemned by a man. Um, he was far more interested in like the sort of spiritual struggles of people with going through trauma. And that is, that's, powerful like that's powerful stuff and i was really ready for him to explore it more with the movie i didn't give a shit they didn't explain anything else about dale cooper in the black lodge because that was not that's not the stated purpose of the movie and that's not what david lynch was going for and i'm trying to i'm trying to like i just wish people would understand that like you'd be a lot less insane about movies that if you actually worked (laughs) with what the movie was in front of you rather than like whatever strange vision you concocted in a fever dream yeah i i do think though too the other thing that this you know the season two and firewalk me really sets up is um you know is that kind of vision of where he was going with the return specifically in relation to kyle mclaughlin because there's so many moments of this movie in the series where it's like yeah, I could see, like, what if Dale Cooper just fucking sucked? <laughs> what if yeah. he just was bad at everything, tripped over himself, one big at a casino? I think that's very clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> foreshadowed uh, by by this series. But um, actually, I, I kind of do mean – I set it up a little as a joke, um, but I'm not surprised that, that Carrie agreed for a second because – I do think this idea of an obsession over a, a rescue, regardless of whether the rescue makes sense, is a, is a theme that gets returned to in the return. But I won't spoil any of that. Carrie, what's your history with uh, with Twin Peaks and Firewalk with me? Um, I wanted to actually before we get to that, I wanted to quickly ask first: um, Have I and I don't think this came up in any of our conversations. Have either of you watched David Lynch The Art Life? I have not. That's on my number fi- – that's my – on my hashtag 52 for this year. So I highly recommend it. It's – I mean, there won't be any spoilers for anything that you haven't watched at this point because it's all like pre-Eraserhead. Um, but it's a – the reason I'm thinking about it right now is what Peter was talking about in terms of uh, the inter- Lynch's interest in trauma and he – the stories that he tells in that movie are pretty interesting because he doesn't often go into a whole lot of detail about um, specific uh, specific incidents. Like, there are parts where he starts to tell a story and then says, I'm not going to finish that. And it's clear from what he doesn't say that he witnessed something pretty messed up or he had a really upsetting experience and it's um it's it he he doesn't seem to ever want to tell you too much about what he's seen or what he's been through but it's clear that like this is stuff that isn't just totally hypothetical to him like he has he has a basis of understanding and he has um he has an analysis that comes from someplace real. Well, there is – I forget where I read this story, but, like, there is a story of him being a kid in Missoula, Montana that I think is, like, a story that he's shared. 
and that he was looking out the window and saw a naked woman running through the streets screaming in agony and pain. And that's the and foundation he, of Blue Velvet. Yeah, yeah. And that like that 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 affected him in a way that like, you know, unlike in a movie, like we don't he never learned anything beyond that. Yeah. But like that 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 which which is like a very scary like those images of fear that scare with us that stay with us as an adult is because like, you know, he never was able to go look online later on and go like, what was going on with that? Did they – like, it's just this thing that as a young, a young kid, he relived over and over. Like, was that person safe? Did they end up okay? Like, what was causing them to both be naked but then also to be so terrified of what was chasing them and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And so, like, yeah, I mean, that's – uh, but yeah, I've always got that impression that like he and this is this is me putting a lot of things that he hasn't said explicitly. So it it really is just hypotheticals that they're you know that and probably some other things of like the the trauma of childhood or growing up or stuff like that. Like part of the way that he's always processed that is through movies, not articulating it in a way. Which totally. when I was reading about how they made Twin Peaks. And, like, that David Lynch was more interested – he had no interest in doing any sort of, like, plot moving or shoe leather dialogue or or writing for any verbose character who, like, said stuff, you know, that was like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to go here. Like, he, that's just not how he uh, – Mark Frost was saying, like, in some interview, like, this is not how he thinks. Like, so when you, when you hear the dialogue of, like – of like Kyle MacLachlan or, you know, characters talking about owls or the log lady or something like that. You're just, you're actually like, that is, that is David Lynch writing how he thinks and how he talks through his character. So that, that, that really codified a lot of like, yeah, he just, you know, for whatever reason, not to speculate, like he processes feelings and emotions in a way that has led to some amazing art but also it's why i think he rightly doesn't try to explain it in interviews or stuff like that because it's like i just i have a different way of processing and interpreting the events of my life than just uh you know talking through them um okay so how i came to twin peaks so i would about eight years ago is when my husband and i started watching twin peaks and we started watching it. Uh, we, it had been on our list for a long time. It was something that we, I think we had both seen the pilot at least once or twice. Um, and we knew that it was, a sh- we both like Lynch. Um, I had seen, I think before I watched Twin Peaks, I had seen Mulholland Drive and Blue Velvet. Mul- I'm, you know, I'm a terrible David Lynch fan in that I actually... I'm not a huge fan of Mulholland Drive. Like, I like it, but I don't understand why it's the Lynch movie that everyone talks about. But Blue, <laughs> but Blue Velvet, I've always loved. Um, so we were we were excited to watch it, and it was one of those things that we kept putting off. And then finally, there was this period about eight years ago when we were both, like, down in the dumps and needed a new show, and Twin Peaks is yeah. what we picked. And the reason that we, like, needed a show, because we were, like, in a funk, was because about six months earlier, I had been diagnosed with PTSD um, related to uh, experiences of uh, childhood sexual abuse and incest in my own history. And the six months that 
followed that included a hospitalization. It included um, a chain reaction of events that led to me disconnecting from my family. Uh, a whole mess of uh, very not fun experiences that led to us saying, let's have a distraction. Let's watch Twin Peaks. <laughs> and... <laughs> oh, uh-huh. Um, the universe has a sick sense of humor, huh? Now, now, my husband actually had watched Fire Walk with me, I think back in college, out of context. He did the mm-hmm. thing that Aaron said you shouldn't do. And... Uh, <laughs> Tell him, I mean, I know this is really taking a step out from a story, but just tell him I'm very ashamed. <laughs> so he, what he had told me, because I said, like, did it make any sense to you? And he's, what he said was, you know, I remember liking it, but then I didn't retain anything about it. So I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay. So we're watching the show and we get to the, f- I think it's the third or fourth episode, which is the episode of Laura Palmer's funeral, where famously Leland Palmer, her father, uh, falls onto the coffin and then the coffin goes haywire and it starts moving up and down in a very suggestive mm-hmm. manner and my husband says to me um, hey so all of a sudden I'm starting to remember some things <laughs> that happen in the movie and I really don't think we should watch this show right now <laughs> and I'm like come on we're like we're so invested we need to keep going this is great and he's like I I'm not sure this is a great idea for us. And so I text a few friends who had watched the show and also knew what had been happening in my life. And I'm like, hey, so we're watching Twin Peaks right now. Do you think I'm going to like it? And all of them say, Carrie, stop watching it. Don't watch it right now. This is the worst time for you to possibly watch it. What are you doing? And I'm like, this is really annoying. I'm having the worst year of my life. And all of a sudden, this thing that I'm really excited about, everyone is telling me not to watch, that is really annoying. And they say, well, you know, you're not a spoiler-averse person. If you're going to watch this, at least read the Wikipedia entry. Mm -hmm. So I did. And I was like, okay, you know, I I guess I'm just going to do this. And the show... I loved the show from the start, but it was one of those things where I couldn't tell the whole time if, like, it was being handled in exactly the right way. And there were parts where it felt like there were excuses being made for the perpetrator. And there were just some things that I was sort of mixed about. It took us a while to watch the show because, like everyone else, we stalled out in the middle of season two. And uh, we actually, we took a road trip um, the following summer uh, in the Pacific Northwest and uh, decided, okay, well, while while we're out doing that, we're going to finish the remaining episodes. And it was the perfect way to do it. Um, And then, so it was probably... August or September of 2014 that we watched Firewalk with me, which was about a year after all of the really rough stuff had happened. And uh, we watched it over two nights because it was a lot for one sitting. And I have described, I call this my favorite movie, which feels like a very inadequate 
uh, way to describe it. I mean, it, it it's my, it's definitely my favorite movie in the sense that in the years since I've watched it, I did a, I tried to do a count yesterday, uh, which was very imprecise. But it seems like on average, I've watched it once every six months since the first time I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've watched. I have, and part of it is that it's become important to me to watch with other people. That like, if there's someone I'm close to is actually sort of an important bonding step to watch this movie with them. Um, Because really what I say when I say it's my favorite movie is that it is the movie that has most emotionally articulated an experience that I have really struggled to describe to people Mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't, I don't go into details with my friends about, you know, the nitty gritty of everything. I don't, it, it, none of that feels relevant, but there are certain emotional truths that I've always wished that I had some way of describing to the people that matter to me. And this movie does that. This movie gives me scenes and moments that I can say like, this, you know, obviously is, is not literally my experience, but yeah. it it speaks to an emotional truth that no other media I've ever seen does. Um, so that ended up, I think I was always going to really like the show, like a mm-hmm. lot, a lot. But it was seeing Firewalk with me that really sold it for me. Um which is why it surprises me when I hear people say that they don't like it as much as the show. Yeah. Because I feel like it's it's the meat of the show. It's the Agreed. It's yeah. where you get the heart of everything. So that's what I've gone back to more than and I've by now I've seen it twice in theaters. Um it's yeah, it's it's one that I will keep going back to and it almost feels like it's weird to describe it but this way but it almost feels comforting at this point to watch it because it's so mm-hmm. it's so familiar and it's sort of like uh the experience of uh sitting with art that says like yeah that really awful stuff that you don't really want to acknowledge um we can this is here to say like it's safe to acknowledge this and Mm -hmm. you know things are gonna be okay and there is a way through this so yeah that's my story (laughs) yeah i so first i i do want to note like i i really appreciate you coming on the show and and sharing that story i know i know you reached out to peter and myself when we uh, obviously we weren't going to ask anyone else to be on (laughs) on this, this episode um, but you know, I, you know, I, you were like, Hey, and I'm going to actually talk about like why this is important. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think Peter or myself, um, don't recognize that, 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 that is, um, a privilege and a and humbling experience to be like, I, we're, I'm going to share why this, this movie is important to me on, on your podcast and here, you know, you, you guys know what it's entails, but I, I'm, I'm going to, you know. Uh, share it. I also would be remiss if I didn't mention that, like the the idea of uh, of what what the show and the movie is ultimately about, which is like 
what what was done to Laura Palmer by her father is not something you see on network television that often. And I think that the cosmic irony of somehow that being the show you pick I know. is not is like is is sort of like uh uh amazing and not like in a like in a flippant or a bad way, but it is just like you could have li- literally there's been thousands of shows that that don't fo- zero in on this being a, a trauma, and I, you know, I know we're probably going to get into it more when we get into the meat of the episode because I think it kind of talks about the the theme of the movies as a whole. But uh, I would be I, I, the the essay you wrote about this, which I'd I'd love to be able to post a link to on either our uh, our, our website when we post these, or just yes, please somewhere in the show notes. I mean. That I'd already seen the movie, and, and like I told you, it was like just this like this is the perfect coda to the show that I loved, uh, in in a way that I would never have anticipated. This is what I needed, but this is this is what I needed. I would I would just note that like that essay, uh, I've read it a few times, read it a few times uh, preparing for this. Like it brings me to tears every time. Oh, it's so beautifully written, and is also like a way that I would have never, in my own personal experience, would have never viewed this movie and it, it oh, really wow. is like it codifies like you know i think i because i i think the kind of you mentioned the show sometimes lets lets uh leland palmer specifically off the hook and it does that very literally like that's yeah. not metaphorically there is a there is a famous quote uh when they figure out leland palmer where where um the the Sher- sheriff harry is like I, yeah, I've lived here my whole life. You're saying spirits possessed him and Kyle McLaughlin, you know, Cooper is like, um, well, what's easier to believe? Like that sheriffs, that, 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 that spirits possessed, uh, you know, this, this dad to do this to his own daughter or that like a dad would do this to his own daughter. Yeah. And kind of nods like, yep, it must be the spirits. And the thing about this movie that like you really zeroed in on through you know personal unfortunate personal experience and everything else is like this movie is really going no this happens this is i'm not letting leland off the hook like in a way that probably network television uh whether he intended to in the show or not would never have allowed him to do like he 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 is definitely like there are spirits at work in twin peaks those spirits only can couple with people who have this. And there's some things that like having read your essay that like um, stood out to me in the movie this time that like seemed like throwaway lines the first time around that I was like, oh, holy fucking shit. Like Mm. there's, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I don't want to forget coming back to it or like have people go an hour with us not talking about it and forget what I'm saying. But there's a line where, um, where Leland is like very clearly articulating, like I know what I'm doing. I thought you knew too. Yeah. And it was, and then like he's so hurt that like she wasn't a willing victim in her own uh, rape. And it, it's like, like that is a line that feels like a throwaway of someone who's just angry and murdering his daughter. That like. You know, zeroed in because of like watching it this time. It's like a punch in the gut, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like this is I th- that line didn't stand out to me. Um, 
And it's only through like hearing, you know, both your experience of like the way the movie, the way you interpret the movie and everything else. I was like, oh, my God, like, you know, I wanted to throw up. It was like so overwhelming this time around. It's also I mean, that line, I think the line is I always thought you knew it was me. And yep, yep. it comes in such a chaotic moment yep. that I almost I, 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 I mean, obviously, everything about this movie is incredibly intentional, but Yep. The inclusion of that reveal in such a chaotic moment feels extremely intentional because I actually don't think for all of this, for for as graphic and unsettling and upsetting as this movie is, I don't actually think Lynch wants to make it gratuitous. I no. think he wants to slide in all of the clues as to what's actually happening in such a way that... It's never going to linger too much on any one thing, which is why the experience of watching it ends up being such a sensory overload, because it's throwing so much of you at once, because he doesn't want to actually linger too much in any one upsetting thing. The parts where it where it gives itself some breathing room is when she's reacting, when she yes. has space to process what's happening. That's where he lets it have more space. Yeah. Yeah, and like uh, Aaron, I think stated my thoughts pretty well. But like, yeah, Car Carrie, thank you so much for um, trusting us and sharing that with us um, because that means the world to me personally. Um, I don't, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm really fond of you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, you're you're very right, and I feel like there's a thing that goes on in the show that I think is kind of. When I was watching it through, I kind of found it enjoyable, but by the end of the Leland Palmer story, I, I found it left an icky taste in my mouth, which is that, like, mm. everybody that's involved in sex trafficking in the Twin Peaks uh, universe is a pathetic weirdo. Not a single yeah. one of them is a <laughs> sexy noir leader. Is None of them have an Orson Welles sort of like, well, yeah, I run that business, but it's just one of my, bus my many businesses. Like, everybody is a fucking weirdo in a bad way. Um, the Horn brothers are both these like grown man babies that are just constantly feeding their id and, and talking about food and talking about cake and discussing serious crimes with flippancy. Um, Ray Wise is sort of like, to me at least, like his performance is incredible in the show. Like absolutely oh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. And it, he's like, I think Ray Wise and Dale Cooper, the, the twin beating hearts of the show, because what mm -hmm. they're doing is, is wrapping up the themes of the show also with the tone of the show, which is like melodrama, you know, soap opera melodrama, comedy, tragedy, seriality, and horror all in like one line reading. Like, the things that Ray Wise is able to do with that performance are incredible. And I don't mean to impugn any of the performances here because they're, they're fulfilling the, the, the vision that Lynch had, but like Lynch has this sort of silly flippancy uh, with these characters. And like, he tries to, um, he tries to um, sort of uh, heal the character of Audrey Horn's father. Uh, is it Ben Horn? Yeah. Okay, I was yeah. trying to remember which one is Ben and which is the other one. Um, yeah, he tries to like almost like heal that character of Ben Horn in season two. And, you know, clearly like that was stuff that was being set up by the staff, maybe hoping for a season three because it doesn't quite land. Um, but like that sort of silliness and lightness of touch is very much missing in Firewalk With Me because David Lynch was 
he was he was kind of done with with that. Like, oh, and the multiple Renault uh, guys are all just weirdos. Like, none of them are cool. Yeah, um, Doctor Jacoby. Park, yeah, I, all everybody involved in the sex trafficking is just. A, a strange, strange person, and the only person that gets—is it Jacques Renault—is in uh, Firewalk with me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He is never depicted as the sexy, cool figure of intrigue. He's a—he's a, 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 a shame. I, mean, I, I think people that can openly talk about their farts is <laughs> confidence of sexiness. Like his idea of like a cool hangout is. Um, sort of uh exploiting high school girls in a canadian bar that's the most depressing and bland place <laughs> like this this hell oh hell of addictions I, I i have that i i, I don't want to skip it too much of the movie, but peter that is my exact note that like this is a literal hell that i also as an audience member are being forced to endure not like you know in a way that like is like that I'm insulting the movie like this sucks so much but it is just brutal and uh, um ob- I obnoxious assaulting to look at it has that same stupid guitar riff that just drones on and on and is louder than anything else in the movie it is it, like you're supposed to feel miserable but like you Lynch is so good at 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 and actually making you feel the way his characters are supposed to make you feel and that that is a hell that yeah. is fucking hell. Oh, they're yeah. they're they're trapped in a in a hell that they entered into for various various reasons, and the yeah. the reasons that brought Laura Palmer here are very complicated. And the reasons that brought Donna there is because Donna didn't want her friend to go through it alone, and it's like a separate tragedy. Yeah. Um, but the thing also that, like, what brought fu- Donna there is that you know Laura Flynn Boyle didn't want to reprise her role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I am on team Moira Kelly is my Donna. A hundred percent. She's. I, agree. I think she's, she's way better. She's better. I think she's way better too. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. So I'm. I, I, what, I, what I'm trying to get to is that like I. I read your your essay as well, and it like it's a similar reaction to her, and like it was just like very like it was like I had new eyes opened for me, and um, that was a piece that I really connected with, which is that like the tone is different and people were mad that Twin Peaks was no longer a funny cutesy show. You kind of get a mini version of that at the beginning with like a a, a sort of pseudo version of Dale Cooper um, who gets swallowed up by this evil and then is never seen again or really like he, he I think he gets like one name drop in the return so far, but it's like largely. So the funniest quote I read from Lynch on that in case we don't get back to it is, that they, he tried to work in his disappearance into the return, but figured it would take too much time to explain what happened to him, which <laughs> is such a perfect Lynchian thing. He's like, I get it, but I only have 18 hours. Oh, I can't yeah. explain what it's happened to Chris Isaac. Yeah, there's not hours. a wasted minute in the first six hours I've watched. Um, <laughs> wow. But yeah. But the thing is, I do believe him. Like, I oh, think yeah. 100%. He, like, that's, what, that's why Lynch is so great. Like, you are like, okay, well, that at least makes sense. Right? Like, yeah. that you, you, you do know. But apparently it's way more complicated than any of us can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> because he couldn't find a spot for it in the return. And it's and it's so scary. This movie is and the tone so, is so yeah, basically terrifying. the tonal differences are completely pre- present, but like the thing that I want to hit is like this movie scares the hell out of me. Like I went I, yeah. I I was having trouble falling asleep, which is like I've talked before on the on the show about like v- very few movies actually give me that feeling, that like little kid feeling, like <laughs> like 
um, you're going to sleep and you're like, oh man, this is either going to take a long time or it's going to happen really quick and I'm going to have the most fucked up dreams tonight. Like, And I got yeah. a little bit of, of both from this movie, yeah. not just because it's disturbing in terms of the sexual content, but it's... It's it, it it's just it has like a sort of curse hanging around it. Like people just get sucked. It's not just the Black Lodge. Like people just get sucked into these 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 little hells, um, just for trying for for sometimes for nihilistically unimportant things like just little mistakes they made sometimes these hells are made because you know they were sort of escorted in there by their abusers sometimes these hells are made because someone thought they were doing something valiant like dale cooper and in the black lodge like people are but like the way that like chris isaac's character just sort of disappears into the ether and the way david uh, bowie's character just sort of disappears into the ether is genuinely very scary and like (laughs) <laughs> David Lynch is like capable of making horror, uh, approaching ho- this horror from a direction that no filmmaker I think can really do because most of I the mean, time they're just aping Lynch. Yeah, I mean, I've I, the 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 most scared I've ever been at a movie as an adult was the first time I watched Lost Highway, and I watched it on a shitty thirteen inch TV in my parents' basement when I was like nineteen or twenty. It was two in the morning. And I got to that scene where Robert Blake tells Bill Pullman that uh, he is at the house calling him. And I turned off the TV. I ran upstairs like a little kid, you know, with the dark behind me. And I and I watched the movie again five years later. That movie is so scary. I love it. But like, it's terrifying. Well, but that but that is, yeah, 100%. And that is an experience that I got the first time I watched Firewalk with me, the first time I watched the the season two finale of Twin Peaks, the, the feeling I watched, you know, with the the Winkies Diner in Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a uh a he, like obviously Lynch is not a traditional horror filmmaker, but there is some sort of like existential nightmarish dread that he is able to evoke that like hits I, I think that's why like you know I, I've you know I, I think people sometimes get annoyed. Like I saw some very funny Twitter things recently that like where someone said um where people were over describing, I forget even what like I forget what movie it was, but like as Lynchian, and they and there was like a Twitter thing where it was like, uh, you know, husband sees a cockroach run across the wall and goes, you know, oh that's so Lynchian, <laughs> um, like you know, and I I get that, but I also think part of the reason that like David Lynch it connects with like young film fans or budding cinephiles and then stays with them is because the, there is not like. There's not a gateway drug, I think, from Lynch to the better versions of Lynch. Lynch exists on his own island. Yes. Where where discovering Lynch means only discovering somewhat lesser versions of Lynch or people that are doing different things. And and so he has a way that terrifies me that literally – no. I get scared by other things occasionally, but nothing comes to the way that David Lynch is able to terrify no, yeah, yeah, no, no. This is and the, the, this movie is, uh, I think, perhaps the, the the one that scared me most. And some of that is the basis uh, that the show put into it. The the extra context I got yeah. from the show, a show that while I was watching it, I didn't consider myself having an emotional reaction to most of the characters. But as we reached the end of Ray Wise's story, uh, Leland Palmer's story, and we reached, uh, you know, what was at the time the end of Dale Cooper's story, uh, I realized I was I was like haunted by by this like these these weirdos had wormed their way under my skin and and were 
or their, their stories, you know, whether I, I, you know, liked them or not, their stories had become a little bit of a little bit of peace in me. Um, and that's that's the the strange thing about David Lynch is he's he's so often called his work is called inhuman or surreal or alien or it feels like it's these films are being made by someone who doesn't understand people like a lot of stuff gets chucked at him sometimes as a compliment sometimes as a backhanded compliment um, sometimes as an insult uh, the the fact that he approached humanity from a completely different angle and and elicited such unique emotional reactions out of me is what makes him a great artist like this this movie is what makes him and the the show and this what movie is what makes him a great artist because like no one has ever taken my like oh yeah these guys are all weirdos and then like snuck up on me in that way oh no yeah one. yeah there's no there's no one like him and no. and it, and i think that also he has I don't want to say he has something for everyone because I'm sure there are some people that just don't respond to him at all. But he it's not like he's doing the same thing over and over again either. All of his movies are weird and surreal in their own special weirdo ways that you're never really going to. I don't think you can really get bored of him. Uh, And I don't think that you can really feel like, well, I've seen one, so I don't really need to see the rest. (laughs) He's he's doing something different. Like one of the movies we haven't talked about at all tonight yet is The Straight Story, where a lot of people will say, oh, that's the least Lynchian thing he's ever done, which is a total Mm -hmm. lie. But like you have to be a big fan of his to understand what the Lynchian elements of it are. And that's a movie that is deceptively surreal and unsettling because you think oh the richard farnsworth tractor movie that's gonna be just totally light and charming and in many ways it is but in many ways it's not and the areas where it's not is actually i i think it gets to the heart of why he's so good is that he's able to weave this uh nightmarish strangeness into everything he does but it's always going to feel a little bit different and i like that yeah there's i mean even i know he didn't compose the score for twin peaks but i actually think the twin peaks theme really emphasizes that where at first it starts out as this like big bright thing and then as it settles down those bass tones kind of pick up Mm -hmm. and it starts to just sound sinister in a way that you can't quite put your finger on. You're like, this was so big and hopeful and like, and something. And it it just sounds, you know, it's the sound of, (laughs) I guess in the opposite of a death cab for cutie song, it's the sound of unsettling where it just feels, um, it just feels completely alien and there's there's there there's another I, I don't know what the exact piece of music is called, but there's another like theme that runs through Twin Peaks where that same music it's just like Laura Palmer's almost theme. A, yeah, yeah, where it's like I just kinda I kinda want it to stop. I don't know why. I can't it's ineffable, I can't put a finger on it, but like it is uh, it's a beautifully composed piece of score that just makes me want to crawl out of out of my skin. And I think I think the straight story is a really good example. That was a movie that I think um Prior to Inland Empire coming out and knowing that I hadn't, uh, wasn't planning to see or couldn't couldn't see without seeing the series, uh, Fire Walk with me yet. I I think Straight Story was the last one I ended up watching, and I was you know I was in my like 
like literally like I didn't know you could make movies like this phase of, of David Lynch and I was probably 20 or 21 and I, I rented it on VHS I think even and uh, I was like expecting like all right this is the one I have to sit through it <laughs> to, to have my completionist streak and I was just like oh my god I love it's this. It's so like, good. It's so good and it feels of a piece and I think that's because like the part that people forget about like david lynch is that he is very funny like yeah. Twin, fire walk with me is not a good example of that but but um you know there's even maholland drive there's that scene of I, I think of like the hitman who's shooting the vacuum cleaner and keeps accidentally shooting other people in, in the in the mm-hmm. in the building and it's like that has an irony and a, and a humorousness that is very funny and as peter has discovered with the return like i think you got past the michael Sarah episode right oh my god yeah um <laughs> uh, not Mu- uh wally wally wally, yeah. wally brando yeah. wally brando yeah. oh my god like i mean there is a lot of stuff that is when we've been talking about this a little chat like if it's he is a very funny person and i think he yeah. understands where he is funny oh yeah it's not all uh, firewalk with me, uh, uh, Lynchian nightmares. But I think with that, we've already talked so much. Uh, are you guys ready to talk even more about firewalk with me? Yes, please. Let's do it. Yeah, so Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me uh, starts as uh, with almost a, as we kind of alluded to, a alternate look as to what if Dale Cooper went into uh, a hostile, more modern version of Twin Peaks. Uh, because Chris Isaac, uh, who plays uh, Chester Desmond, um, is instructed to go investigate by, by, uh, by David Lynch. Uh, as, as as his character, where he yells at people, uh, is instructed to go investigate the murder of Teresa Banks, um, and he goes along with Keith Keith Sutherland, and, and and instead of like it really is, I love it's like this little parallel of like what if everyone on Twin Peaks, which was we're kind of known as like weirdos, but like what if they were hostile weirdos? Because he goes to the sheriff's office and like no one wants to give him anything, and he literally has to almost like overpower physically the deputy to get to the sheriff. And you know, the Harry Dean Stanton is the person who owns the trailer park where they want to investigate the body. Is like oh, I'm so sick of this, and like everything is a fight as opposed to you know the the Dale Cooper and Twin Peaks where everyone kind of was like we need to all solve this together uh even if a lot of those people were hiding secrets there was a friendliness and a welcoming on the on the outside that is not present here um ultimately He's he's able to you know Teresa Banks is which we'll learn later in the movie and was referenced actually in the pilot of the of the the TV show is a a woman who was murdered and under similar circumstances to Laura Palmer which is why initially when Kyle MacLachlan enters Twin Peaks he's like maybe this is related to this murder it comes up more in the second season as well but here we have the investigation and the looking at the body after it's dead it then kind of goes to the FBI office where we see all of our friends we see we see David Lynch 
we see Kyle MacLachlan, we see Miguel Ferreira, and they're working at this FBI office in Philadelphia, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just kind of talking about the case and, and, and doing kind of this word. I actually think the word association thing comes a little bit later. But uh, as they're talking about it, all of a sudden, um, Dale Cooper has a weird dream that he kind of wants to see play out in almost a – I almost think a precursor to the the Winky's Diner scene in Mulholland Drive and and one that also sends chills up into my spine. He is looking at this security camera on the ceiling and then he keeps moving to look at the monitor until all of a sudden he notices that he – the image – uh, on the monitor, even though he's no longer under the camera, is still there. And that's when uh, David Bowie, who's in this movie, um, which still, like, even even have, knowing that David Bowie's in it, exactly where he appears, uh, like, just made me very happy this time around. <laughs> it's like, oh, fucking weird, David Bowie. Um, I think probably the last time I, I saw David Bowie was also still still alive so it's like extra like oh my god it's so crazy that david bowie's in this movie and we barely uh, but he's he, barely in the movie and he remember or he he was uh he said basically like uh um oh i, I thought i was gonna be in, in more of that <laughs> <laughs> well well maybe, maybe that's a good epilogue because a lot of people this this is like a terrence malick like wait where's where's my where's my scene why am i not in this movie because there's a lot of townspeople who – there's a whole missing pieces where yeah. they shot all these scenes of like Twin Peaks characters that ultimately David Lynch is like, yeah, but it – as he zeroed in on wanting to tell the story of Laura Palmer, it's like these people were important to Twin Peaks. I'm not telling the story of Twin Peaks. I already did that. The Missing Pieces the is a fun novelty, but basically everything in it, you understand why it was cut. There's yeah. not much there that you're like, wow, that really should have been in the movie. Yeah, I think the – I mean, I I still haven't watched The Missing Pieces even though I have access to them with the sets that I have. Um, but I I mean, I get it. Like this this Fire Walk With Me is not about Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks is about Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. You know, this is about Laura Palmer. So anyways, um, uh, David Bowie uh, j- disappears suddenly from after he's talking about other people disappearing. Then they find out that Chris Isaac has also disappeared with the Let's Rock written on the car. It's like a very creepy opening that has a lot of like meaning. And also there's this ring that shows up that started to show up in the second season of 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 Twin Peaks as well. Then we cut to, to Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer is going to school. It's a week before, I believe, the um, – the murders and, you know, I'll, I'll cut some of this short. You do get to see kind of uh, a lot of what you heard about in in the show from characters retelling it directly from from her perspective. She's writing in her – she's writing in her diary. She uh, is talking to her diary about a Harold Smith who famously, uh, you know, in one of the second season episodes directed by David Lynch ends up like known as a lonely, lonely soul. Uh, who's kind of keeping her secrets. There's some romantic stuff here. She's also dating Bobby Briggs, but also has a crush on on James Hurley. She's doing cocaine in the bathroom. She's her best friend is Donna Hayward, who is like trying to trying to be more a part of Laura Palmer's life, but ultimately is is kind of kept at bay through, you know, by not, you know, Laura's Laura has this other thing going on, which she thinks there's this spiritual entity Bob, who is uh, who is assaulting her at night, and in the in one of the early scenes of Laura Palmer, she sees Bob in the house, leaves 
of the house only to see it's actually her dad, Leland, who has exited. And that confronts her with a horrifying reality for the first time that this this spirit who's been breaking in on occasion and assaulting her is not a spirit, but almost a mask that she's given um, her her dad, who's been doing all that stuff. And there is a long shot of her uh, dealing with all that stuff. Uh, as it relates to just like the hor- the implications of like all the different moments, which which will play out later on. Uh, through this too, I, I kind of me- mentioned this. Obviously, at the end of uh, at the end of Twin Peaks, Dale Cooper, as we mentioned, is stuck in the in the Black Lodge. We kind of see a lot of the characters, like the man uh, the man from another place, and some other creepy stuff in a eating garbanzo beans and other you know Mike and all the all the other weirdo Lynchian stuff. Uh, if you don't like people eating close-up beans in this movie, I got to tell you, you picked the wrong movie to watch. <laughs> sure. I think that's a good – regardless of your bean-eating situation, I, I also think that's a good idea. Um, but, uh, yeah, you you know, you know see kind of some of the highlights uh, – highlights isn't the right word, but like the highlights by things that have been described. You have Laura Palmer kind of working at um, – at uh, One Eye Jacks, um, knowing uh, Jacques over in Canada, and kind of the underage prostitution rings that are running through there, um, and she's you know drawing more and more in on herself, but also doing more. Uh, I don't know if destructive is the right word, but like more behavior that is almost a way to erase what she is starting to come to the realization if that that. She's spiraling, yeah, and she's also bringing Mora, uh, or sorry, not what's that, Donna. She's also bringing uh, Donna more and more into it as almost like a a punishment, like for you want to know about my life, I am going to let you know about my life while also still trying to protect her from it. Once she realizes, like in this scene where she's kind of been drugged and getting assaulted by this man in a bar. Um, that it's that it's that it's gone too far. Um, there is um, there is a scene as we kind of go through these final days where she is where Bob breaks in through her window, and uh, it's worth noting. Um, we can probably talk about this more in scenes that like you know the the dynamic of how evil. Leland in his everyday stuff is starting to come across more and more. Like we saw that on the show, if you watch the show, but like there's these like little se- there's like this scene at a dinner early on um, after after she saw her dad at, post Bob walk out of the house where he is just having this complete meltdown about her washing her hands and like there is just an inescapable abuse and violence especially with the way that you know laura's mom is handling it of just like i just want this to be over please just make this be over but i can't deal with anything i'm seeing while they're trying to like still represent this like upstanding almost like 50s era nuclear family of like we're all sitting down for dinner and i want to know who you're dating at school young lady and like all all this kind of subtext there so Flash forwarding uh, quite a lot because there's a, there's a lot we'll probably get into in actually talking about the movie. But eventually, she's assaulted by Bob only for the mask to fully come off and for her to realize that like she is in, in the process of having sex with her with her father. 
Um, and that kind of turns into this final spiral in this night that was really – or the final couple nights that was really uh, described in the TV show. But like where she is really like – she's going off with the, uh, the with Jock and the rest of the Canadians and having sex with them and putting on a show and doing drugs and then calling James and all these things. And it, it almost feels like a final tour of like uh, I know that, that something is approaching an ending and 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 i'm just i'm going to figure out what it is and and embrace it and that that uh kind of ends with with her uh uh her ending up with leland who is jealously chasing her when she ends up with with james for a little bit and sees her like you know dancing for for jock and the rest of his gang and kind of saying hey i tore the as we mentioned i tore the page out of your diary I thought you knew what we were doing. I, you know, I and and finding out that she's horrified by it turns it into this really like psychotic sexual revenge of like uh almost like you're 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 making I thought we were both knew what we were doing as if that's like a version of consent even under those circumstances. But now you're horrified and disgusted by it. How dare you make me reckon with your feelings towards me that way and he he murders her puts her in plastic and throughout this we've got these little hints of of Kyle McLaughlin Dale Cooper being stuck in the the black lodge including this uh this great scene of like um you know hey uh, of Heather Graham's character appearing dead in her bed saying that um, that that the good Dale is still stuck in the lodge. Please write it in your diary. And at the end, there is a lot of that kind of normal Lynchian ending breakdown of like uh, of of her almost reuniting with with Dale Cooper in this lodge. But now instead of feeling like she's eight hours short of a good night's sleep and looking like she's been on a bender for weeks and weeks and weeks, she is like. You know, she's she's kind of gorgeous and ethereal, and this angel figure is watching over her again. And you know, uh, I, I hate taking credit for Carrie's Carrie's essay, but um, that idea of of Laura, as opposed to embracing the evil that her father was was bringing into her life that she saw part of her spiral being impacted by that she kind of accepted that that the only escape that she had was 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 leaving death is is the right word in real life but like in this case kind of leaving the realm of existence that she know to to exist in a different perspective mm-hmm. and why that's so important and why that leads into the return is like you know, so much of, of the return is this idea of can is there a better fate for Laura than than the ending of Fire Walk with me? And and because Peter hasn't seen it, I won't spoil where we end up there. But it's the idea of like, you know, there is there is uh <laughs> again, Carrie, you said it best, it's like it's not to say like the only way to truly escape abuse is like to to leave existence and to die or something like that but in laura's specific case both beset by the active assault by her family members the way the town saw her as uh, someone to be used and disposable and a active antagonistic spirit world that made everyone's worst impulses that much more horrific and violent that that the end of fire walk with me is an escape 
that ultimately brings brings a peace. So through as Aaron mentioned, throughout the movie, you're seeing this jade ring pop up. Um there's a photo of it uh in Teresa Banks's trailer. You see the man from another place holding it up in the dream when Mike, the one-armed man, is yelling at Leland in the car. He's wearing it. Um, yep. It keeps it keeps popping up. And in the dream that Laura has, uh, Cooper says to her, don't take the ring. Yes. And there is this... <sighs> I'm going to I'm going to briefly allude to the same thing that Aaron alluded to without going into detail since Peter hasn't gotten to this point, but throughout the run of Twin Peaks culminating in the return, Cooper kind of has this arc of you know, un- understanding the fallibility of his own context and to him there is nothing that could be worse than someone being murdered. Um, He can't conceive of anything that would be more horrific than that. So his goal as a character is to keep Laura Palmer alive. He wants to undo, and part of this, as as, as is explored in season two, is it's coming from his own trauma of a woman that he loved who was murdered. And he doesn't have any opportunity to address that. So all of a sudden, it becomes really important for him to think like, how can I resurrect this person? How can I undo the past so that she this never happened to her? And what Laura understands is that to keep living, the, the, the whole thing that um, in the episode that Aaron was talking about earlier, where they kind of let Leland off the hook. Um, in that same conversation, Albert says that maybe all Bob is is the evil that men do, which to me has always really stood out because it's like, okay, Bob is the symbol of the cycle of abuse. He's not a supernatural yeah. entity. He's he's a symbol of a real thing. And, you know, Laura eventually understands that Bob, the manifestation of Bob, is actually the understanding that the longer that she stays in this, the more she will get sucked in. And she will become part of a cycle that has ruined her. So the agency that she has at the end is Mike tosses the ring into the car where she's being murdered and she puts the or where she's going to be murdered and she puts the ring on because she knows in that moment that if she the the option is essentially bob is going to possess her or she dies and she puts the ring on so that bob can't possess her and then that's when leland is like don't make me do this and then murders her so it's I, I I think that I think that having that visual symbol is a really important way mm-hmm. of breaking down the fact that you know there there is a thing that can protect you from the evil seeping into you 
And obviously, in real life, thankfully, there are more choices than becoming an abuser or dying. But since this is a, you know, surreal, not not grounded in reality uh, environment that we're operating in, that's all very symbolic. The point is to have the symbols of choice and agency and the ring is a really powerful way, way of doing that that i think is incredibly effective uh, i could not agree more and i think that also just really quickly there's also that kind of idea of her crossing some sort of like lynchian rubicon when her guardian angel disappears mm-hmm. from from the painting and i you know the interpretation i take from that is like that's the moment where she has a self-realization and it kind of it pairs well with her kind of yelling at james like I love you and seeing that as like something good in her life and also pushing it away as far as she can that like something has changed in her with with being able to um you know uh remove the evil through like like she's she's crossed a Rubicon I I am no longer under some sort of like uh protection where I can escape the cycle of abuse and trauma Mm -hmm. um and 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 like that leads directly i think to her decision i think that pairs well with the ending too like her guardian angels returned like she she was able to find the escape from the cycle that in the real world of twin peaks she recognized she was no longer going to be able to do yeah David Lynch is accused of um, using strangeness for the sake of strangeness. And it's always an unfair accusation because he always has uh, an intention there. Um, that means a lot from you having just watched episodes four through six. Of the <laughs> I, I, I trust the journey. I, I, I've been too Good. far. To, I, I just watched. I, I just rewatched Mulholland Drive like a couple months ago. Like I, I trust yeah. the journey at this point. Um, but the. <laughs> The, the fact is that this cannot be taken as, yeah, that the ring thing could just be seen as like strange imagery and something that's sort of yeah. banal in some sense, but ha- takes on a, a greater sort of mystical power in the eyes of the Twin Peaks universe, right? Like that's, that's fine. That's fine and good. Um, but you can't just take Twin Peaks and and ignore everything that has happened before and just place it within a sort of um uh gender construct as like well Laura chose to be a victim and therefore this show is victim blaming or um Laura didn't uh you know Laura didn't fight her way out of this in a sort of um <laughs> you know ripley like manner like viewing these these things through uh a, a a specific gender construct uh is actually kind of self-defeating yeah and viewing it more as um laura's life and there's a very painful line she she says something like bob has been with me since i was 12 he's been having yeah. me since i was 12 yes yeah which is horrific right um and it lends an entire credence to the to the to the fact that like her what the 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 choices that she is making at the end albeit extremely boxed in do kind of operate in a 
um, in, in, in like a certain feminist construct, which is that like Laura's life has been suffering for so long, and Laura has been yeah. like been putting up the fight, putting up the fight, putting up the fight, and like the walls are or the walls are, are starting to tumble down after a good long fight. Like this is not yeah, this is not Laura giving up. This is Laura having put in a good long fight. Yeah, and I you know to. To get back to something Carrie said too, and again, um, not to ruin specifics, but that idea of like Bob being the 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 evil that men do is is pretty well covered as in 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 the return as well. Mm-hmm. This idea of like it is so easy to put your evil acts or your despicable acts or whatever word you want to use to describe them into the prism of a a box that contains them. And while most people don't blame uh, supernatural entities for the harm that they do, almost everyone who does harm, whether it's, you know, micro or macro, um, so many of them rely on a box that, um, excuses it to some to some degree, right? Like, you know, um, whether it's uh, I did this because I was worried about this, or I was having a bad day, or I was drunk, or I was, you know, X, Y, or Z, or if they hadn't done this, I wouldn't have reacted like this. What do you expect me to do? And is, you know, the the we don't live in a world of supernatural lodges that allow us to place to place our 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 harm into into their hands but we do live in a, in a world where everyone has an excuse for everything mm-hmm. um and it, and it allows them like hey if these circumstances were different i wouldn't do that and it allows yourself one of one of i mean one of the most important parts of i think kind of like becoming someone who at least is aware of like how they are uh how they behave to other people and what kind of harm they can do is like owning those things and it's like we've lived in a, a culture of like me too and 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 stuff like that and just the amount one of the things that comes up so frequently is the way that like um celebrity or public apologies that we read are just like oh my god like here's the eight things they blame as opposed to taking ownership or they're taking ownership in tandem with these things that were outside of control or something they didn't realize was a problem or something like that and those are the those are the public apologies and ownership that we get to dissect as a culture you know that is repeated over and over and over i think in all of our real lives i mean how many times have you heard or maybe even said like myself earlier is like oh i'm sorry that bothered you or i'm Mm -hmm. sorry you know sorry that offended you that's you know that is literally putting the the bobs of the world onto the person's reaction as opposed to owning it and understanding it and so i think you know Again, this is really well articulated too by like the where the rest of the series is going to go as well. But I think that is something that my guess is that Lynch was a little more tapped into than I think myself when I saw the show or even, you know, had read Carrie's essay or, or anything else. This idea of that it's so it's so much easier, even under the most despicable of, of circumstances, which is articulated in that episode nine of season two of like what, you know. That I just can't believe something like that. A spirit possessed Leland? Mm-hmm. Well, what's what's easier to believe? That or this? What's easier to believe? That you 
inflicted harm, severe, maybe unrepairable harm to someone, or that all these other factors contributed to you making a one-time mistake. And unfortunately, with the way that a lot of our culture and people are, people choose the latter option. Uh, a, a disturbingly percentage, a disturbing amount of, of, of time. I think that's also the hypocrisy mm-hmm. that Bobby is calling out at the funeral in season one. That, you know, he has his freak out and says, oh, you know, yeah. we, we all killed her. And yep. that's that it, it's so early in the show and it's setting the tone for, you know, yes. One person is more guilty than other than everyone else, but there is a complicity in this community, yeah. and that is, you know, I, I I think when we talk about why Lynch and Frost didn't want to spoil the reveal, you know, as early as they did, the point was always the complicity more than who the actual perpetrator was. Yeah. Yeah, they, there was no, they, there was literally no escape. Yeah, right. Yeah, like which is which is something that you hear about from all the people that come forward now about despicable acts that have occurred to them. Right? Yeah, like you know they they are they are you post something that happened to you that was horrific and traumatic and are trying to reveal it for the sake of protecting other people if it's a famous person or just trying to share your story with theoretically people that are out there that support your story because you're a public figure and stuff like that and the amount of you know anger and hate and death threats and like it's like i have no outlet to share something personal if it's something that uh, uh so many people in our culture feel themselves as complicit as like most most really like i mean this is not a, a original observation I'm, I'm not claiming it to be is like you know it's the, it's those people that push back that are almost like telling on themselves a lot of the time of like um not just those people but you know those people specifically are like how dare you hold someone to this standard or expect something worse than them or how did you cause it because they're almost reenacting their own bobs because they would hate if that happen to them because they have all these things that they feel like is not their fault and to hear someone else like is pain laid bare is almost in some ways like an attack on on what they've done yeah exactly and i i I think it's kind of interesting that this movie while it's refusing to be fan service and it's trying to engage with a specific sort of um, decision or uh, you know a specific sort of series of uh, of um, of actions by Laura um, and her and then actions done by Laura's father. Um, it's also interesting that like at times David Lynch is expanding the mythology as if he can't he can't um, yeah because the yeah. The, yeah the thing that I'm thinking of is like Bobby who is um or excuse me uh the thing I'm thinking of is James who is just like a hunk of tofu like just <laughs> absolutely absolutely I think the worst character in the entire show um pe- like well I mean in fair Peter you missed the whole part where he dates an older lady that doesn't, that doesn't, sound, <laughs> doesn't sound mildly I, like here hold on hold on I just want you to just close your eyes and just okay, I'm picturing, so yeah. here's I'm picturing someone who's Who's somewhat younger. Okay. And he dates someone 
who's a little bit older. Now, I know you're like, okay, Harry, I'm pretty enticed. This sounds like a super compelling character arc, but I need a little more. What if he has to drive a little bit to get to her <laughs> house and and this is this is so crucial. He drives a motorcycle there. I just you skipped all that. I, I, I skipped I, all that, and you know, yeah. frankly, I'm going to have to stop recording right now to go jump and see he what just, that's like. He just needs to get on his bike and go. Can't I just read like Why, a healthy, they, didn't, a they let him called, come like, back though? Can't I just read a paperback mistake. called like uh, motorcycle liaisons or something? <laughs> at least I, at least I get like hot, smoky action, not like whatever was going on in ABC in the early '90s. It's so weird. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, not, why can't be? Why can't she be in the town? I, I don't know. I don't know because they needed because if she, because if she was in town, there wouldn't be long extended motorcycle sequences. Yeah, I mean, he does use the like. I, I don't want to judge how people use their hobbies to to escape their pain, but. He, he uses that motorcycle as just a way to get away from it all. It's yeah, true. He, he, I would say that he gets his motor running and gets out on the highway, mm-hmm. uh, search for adventure or something like that. He just really took the, the Rascal Flat song to heart. Yep, that's, yep, that's a Rascal. You, you caught me. <laughs> I can't believe, though, in all of his adventuring and soul searching, he never wrote another song. We just get the <laughs> one. We just get his one song. You'd really think that, like, he'd, he'd start a whole guitar career or something on the road, right? No, no, no. no. He, um, I mean, he, he actually tore out his, his voice doing that falsetto for so long. <laughs> <laughs> that's, why he doesn't, that's why he doesn't talk very much. It's very painful. <laughs> um, it's always been cool. But James is, is, is a big old hunk of tofu, and, and largely he sucks and is boring and is shitty, and I, I don't care about him and uh, don't like him. Um... Also, uh, like, there's kind of nothing that's exciting about James, but this movie has the only good James moment to me, which is um, James at the red light. Yep. Um, Yeah. Laura runs into the woods and James at the red light. It adds context to what was just sort of a creepy but banal image that, you know, David Lynch plays with that stuff in, in his entire career, right? Like... Creepy but banal imagery is like part and parcel of what David Lynch's entire entire deal is. And they even had an episode that was like a flashback during season two. And maybe there was one during season one. I'm not remembering. But during season two, they have a flashback that like shows what James's perspective was of that night. And he like went back to like bury a, a necklace or something or uncover a necklace or something. Like it's it's not that interesting. Um, but like. The, the good James moment is in this, which is him finally being like, I would do anything for you, but like, I can't do anything for you. What you're going through right now is bigger yeah. than me. And I, I just kind of, the light's green. I got to go. Yeah. And, well, technically the light's red. Yeah. That's, but then it turns well, the green. Light, well, yeah, but that's the reason why he doesn't go into the woods with her is because the light's green and he just kind of goes. Um, uh, I like, I think it was in the article you sent, Carrie. Where the person calls out is like there are Easter eggs to the show, like the whole focus on the stoplight 
in the pilot that went on forever and you're like is this supposed to mean something he calls back to it with the reverse of the stoplight scene of james and it's like yeah. he said it's a it's a callback for nobody on earth <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> because it was so minor how would you even remember that's supposed to relate to the light changing then in in the pilot no my, no no yeah my favorite my favorite easter egg like that is actually in the pilot uh when james and donna are connecting and james is telling her about like their last night together he mentions that laura had said that bobby killed someone oh, and yeah. it's such a throwaway line that it never comes up again in the show and the idea of bobby being a murderer like never develops any traction and He's then silly in the show to and, like for that to really matter yeah and then in this movie, we get the scene of Bobby killing someone. <laughs> it's it is it is it's it's like in in very Twin Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me fashion. It is disturbing. It's like a sad moment, yep. and Laura's having a full mental breakdown where she's like laughing about the incident. She is she's so self destructive at this point that she just like isn't even connected to the moment. She's incredibly drunk, and. Um, yeah, and that like moment is like horrifying and lends a whole new context to some of the ways that Bobby acts in the return. Um, which, by the way, I said, do I need to rush through the return before we record? And then both of you, in fairness, I, I didn't like, realize. Well, I guess I won't spoil this for you. <laughs> well, so in, in, look, I'm not going to blame it on me. I'm going to blame it on Bob. What Bob did here was that he on his own misremembered how much until until Aaron watched Firewalk with me. It, he didn't remember how much it was. Typical Aaron. I typical know. It was Bob. Podcast Bob. Prima Donna. You're blaming Bob, a, a below-the-line guy who got to got to cameo on the show. You're blaming... <laughs> I just what was, didn't... What was he, an electrical engineer? What was his job on set? He was, I think, I think it was a grip or, a, or a, a grip. something like that, or a, or a yeah. c- uh, scenic person. Is he the, yeah. the best boy? Something like that. I mean, he was like Peter. I, I don't want to get into how you feel about what, what he did or didn't do, but I, he was not the best boy. He was the worst boy. He was the worst boy. That'd be very funny if he was still performing that function that I am assuming his function was at. And uh, and David Lynch credited him in the credits as very bad boy. <laughs> very bad boy. <laughs> uh, I do feel bad, though, because I didn't realize how much I would want to talk about The Return until I watched Twin Peaks Firewalk with me la- literally last night after catching up on a few of, of the older episodes. And I'm like, oh, no, I really steer. That's why it is like, Peter, I texted you last night and I'm like, what episode are you on again? Because it was right after I watched Firewalk with me. I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. What can I yeah. What can I say? But I, I really. I just didn't want you to rush through it either. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. There's, I, it would there's, make it miserable. There's stuff to talk about, but it's also the point is that Firewalk with me came after the original two seasons so like yes i think the return adds a lot of depth to it but you also it can stand on its own perfectly fine without it yeah yeah and it existed as an ending for for me and it sounds like carrie too for uh, a while before we even knew the return was a thing so like this this did work as a really 
really nice ending of, of the scene. But I, you know, I've been meaning to. I haven't watched Twin Peaks since that that first time through, just because any time like rewatching a TV show is such a commitment in general, even one I love as much as this. Uh, and I haven't watched The Return since I watched it as it aired back in in 2017. Um, but so I watched to, to prep for this. I watched the season premiere of season two just to kind of remember the lay of the land. And then I watched Lonely Souls, the Lynch episode, uh, directed episode seven or whatever. And then the, the finale, just because I love it. And it does lead in a little bit to uh, some parts of of Fire Walk With Me. But like having skipped the whole first season and just kind of watching those, I did kind of forget like like that Bobby was even dating Laura Palmer until mm-hmm. I watched you like you just, you just recognize him so much with Shelley uh, with yeah, yeah with Shelley that it's like oh yeah like you know James was because even though James is barely in those episodes they mention you know he's sad all the time and that stays with you but Bobby recovers very quickly and finds a new love and a couple that you're rooting for in some ways so uh, yeah I, I was like oh shit that's right. Bobby dated Laura. They were they were the boyfriend and girlfriend, not James and Laura. Yeah, yeah. And I, I another another sort of loose end uh, that does connect with the lore is that the small man in the Black Lodge is man from another place. Is literally the reason I think of him as the small man is because in one of the premonitions they refer to there's a large man and a small man. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, because um, Mike's the large man, right? So Michael J. Anderson is um Michael J. Anderson is literally in this they confirm that he's literally the arm yeah. of that one guy. Who, mm-hmm. who's, Mike, Bob's, yeah. who's Bob's like immortal enemy or immortal Mike. enemy? Mike. Mike. Yeah, so he's literally Mike's arm, which they confirm in this, which bleeds into that tree thing and the return. Well, you yeah. know you know why the tree thing happens, right? Because Michael J. Anderson had a a um, mental instability and accused David Lynch of things that of murdering Jack Nance seems very ob- seems very obvious yeah. that uh, all of the things that he accused him of were de- very much deniable. Very much did not happen. Did, yeah. did not happen. But yeah, Michael J. Anderson is it's tragic more than. Like anything, but I, I, I well, did. But I he do. became a he became like a gamergate right wing fascist person. I didn't know that. But I, I, that. I do love that when you piss off David Lynch, all he all all he says is, you know what? I'm just gonna recast you as a tree. That's how we're gonna <laughs> handle even, this. I'm not even gonna recast you. Some weird uh, third rate CGI company is gonna make you into a. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you realize that most of this show The tree looks great, by the way. That was not me other people. casting. Oh, it casting looks so cool. It looks, it's yeah. one of the few visual effects in the show that I think actually really, like, works on every level. What were you saying, Aaron? I, I was just saying, like, you know my whole show is about people becoming other people, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It just, yeah. se- just seems like a bad, bad move. I feel like, like a, a, a series regular on, um, on um, Quantum Leap. Being, yeah. like, being like, uh, uh, I don't like, uh, I don't like this guy. And you're like, well, I'm sorry, that person makes a lot more money than you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was, it was the Michael J. Anderson thing is 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 very sad. It's like, depressing. I I want to I, I want to uh, condemn him for his right wing politics or whatever. But um, yeah, uh, it, it is a little funny that he he accused him of killing Jack Nance. 
Um, considering didn't Jack Dance die of like a, a like a, a heart like a hemorrhage or something? I, yeah. my, I'm really sad. From what I've heard, like he died under pretty mysterious circumstances. Like yeah. I, I don't think David Lynch murdered him, but the it but sounds the like he was story, having an argument with somebody, and his body just sort of the story around his death is admittedly really weird. It is very weird. He was yeah. arguing. I mean, in with fairness, some, he was arguing with some some kids, and then yeah. he had some sort of hemorrhage and just sort of died, and it like yeah, it was like a stress induced. Of episode of some some variety. I'm not a fucking doctor. I, I also think like, I mean, Jack Nance isn't not going to die under mysterious circumstances. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, it, it doesn't. That's part of his story. That's very important. Like he needs to he needs to leave us with a few questions. It's true, right? We are we are. Uh, I, I hold on. Do we know? Do we know if like Christopher Walken was near? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I'm so proud of you for finding a way to work that into this episode. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a while. I think Nat- Natalie Wood is the Laura Palmer of the Wheel of Twatterverse. So, um, what happened in that lodge? What happened in that lodge? What happened in that lodge? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, it feels good to bring back that thread, uh, and also really terrible. Yeah. Um. um also, something that, that Carrie uh, made my life a little bit worse was that uh, sign the sign walk with me. What is that uh, oh that Instagram God. account called? Oh, sign it's peaks. Sign peaks. Sign peaks. Yeah. Um. You you sending me that really ruined my day today because I spent oh, no. all day. I spent all day. <laughs> <laughs> scrolling through and then found out there was a sorry I spent half of the day scrolling through and then found out there was a sister account that's all 30 Rock and Twin, po- Twin Peaks memes yeah and I spent the other half of the day on that so. it's the best um, I would highly recommend you, Twin Peaks you somewhere in that, in that yeah. mix of thank course you, you. my pleasure <laughs> uh, one of the moments because I feel like we are getting a little bit into moments though happy to circle back into whatever else we need to is that um <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. It's getting late. Um, this is such a... Don't worry. No, it's fine. Um, the um, this show is not sentimental. Like no. it's like the opposite of sentimental. And yet somehow after the prologue, when um, it hits the Twin Peaks side the same way as the opening credits and the theme song starts playing, yeah. I get like chills. Like I'm about to watch something that's like. Oh my gosh, it's like George Bailey coming back to his house. And like it's it's so weird that it hits me that way because obviously it's the opposite, but there is just something about like that score and that image that just sets off a part of my brain that's like that like pushes all my pleasure receptors even if I know that those are going to get mutilated. In moments. I think it's really doing that on purpose because that whole yeah. sequence is she's leaving her house, walking to school of Donna, the boyfriends yeah. pass by, then the secret boyfriend passes by, and then like it's kind of lulling you into like this is gonna be a nice story until all my friends all my friends are back yeah. until she goes into the bathroom and snorts coke, and then you're like, Oh right, this is oh, gonna be right. a really sad story. Wait, hold on. I have here in my notes. Things don't end well for Laura Palmer. Oh, never mind. I had it written down. 
if only you had some sort of couple do- dozen long series to remind you that. Yeah, it's uh, there's. I free, I'm going to butcher the joke, but it's. I there was some comedian who was like, it's weird watching old movies, and there's like some old movie where they suspect O.J. Simpson, and they're like, uh, how could you not suspect him? That's literally O.J. Simpson. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, how could you? How could you not know? That's literally Laura Palmer. <laughs> we haven't talked about Lil though. Can we talk about Lil? Tell us about Lil. So, so in the opening, uh, after after Gordon Cole yells what the next scene is going to be, we meet. <laughs> we I almost spit all over my screen. <laughs> We 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 meet uh, uh, special agents Desmond and Stanley, and uh, Gordon Cole is explaining to them what their mission is, and then he brings out Lil, the dancing girl. She's my mother's sister's girl, and everything. It, it's this woman in a in a dress that's uh, has a hem up the side and a wig on and everything about her is affected and symbolic yeah and then um and i can't remember where i read this uh i'm definitely i didn't i didn't come to this myself i know i read it somewhere uh but it has stuck with me for a long time um the scene that follows that is uh Desmond and Stanley in the car uh basically breaking down what they just saw and desmond is explaining like here's what this means here's what this means and basically everything was code and this is all code that's going to tell them about uh the investigation that they're on and literally it's it's almost satirical the level of detail it gets into um things that like don't make any sense as being symbols for you know, a drug bust or law enforcement or something. And then uh, then they get to the Blue Rose and he says, but I can't tell you about that. And essentially, it's the, the analysis that I read of that is basically that like this is this is Lynch poking fun at yeah. the people who want to find the meaning in every single detail while also still saying some of these things I'm never going to give you an answer for. And I think that's such a good way to open the movie to yeah. to say like yes, there will be a lot of symbolism here and you should take whatever meaning from it you can find, but don't expect easy answers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't want to walk towards the ending with that, but like what I have to what I definitely have to say about this movie is is related to that, which is like the taking the the fact that that scene is sort of played as both a ridiculous thing yet because it's lynch you're taking it dreadfully seriously <clears throat> is that perfect tightrope walk that lynch uh, is able is able to pull off which is that like you're never quite sure there are moments of like outright comedy like andy hitting his head on a board multiple times or andy hitting his head on a chair while he's reaching for his like semen sample or whatever but like mm-hmm. there's moments of outright comedy in, in the yeah. series, but, like, most of the time, the things that are real good, solid laughs, you can't tell whether they were intentional or not. And that's 
beautiful. That's like a beautiful thing about the surreality of the show because he's able to do that and then rope you back in. Like mm-hmm. sort of leave you unballasted with like what his intentions for the scenes were and then rope you back in. And like ultimately I don't think David Lynch particularly cares if you get um you get like everything that he's saying. I don't think he cares about if, if you care about half of the things he's saying. As long as you're not like ac- actively um, in a, in, in a uh, false pretense trying to uh, uh, if you're not in bad faith trying to um, ruin what he's saying with his, his artwork I don't think he particularly cares he yeah. wants everybody to take away what they what they take away from the work and that's why we've talked a lot in the chat about this about David Lynch is the best interviewee of all time and the worst interviewee <laughs> yeah. of all time Yeah, because yeah. he does what I think every director should do which is like if somebody comes in and they ask about like lenses or they ask about like, oh, how did you meet this particular producer or actor? He'll talk about it. How did you, you know, uh, what's it like hanging out with Laura Dern? He'll talk about it. Like he'll talk about personal connections and technical stuff if you really want him to. Um, He he might segue into talking about transcendental meditation. Um, But ultimately, if you ask him, if, if you ask him anything, about Dale Cooper and his spiritual journey into the cosmos, he's just going to shut down on you. And he's yeah. and at that point in the interview, he's not even going to ask you about like he's not even going to want to talk to you about like the time him and Laura Dern had coffee and it lasted seven hours. Like they're not he's not going to want to talk to you about that stuff anymore <laughs> because he's he's spotted you as a as 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 a mark, someone who couldn't help but look to his senpai or look to his master to be like. Oh, is my is my YouTube theory right? Oh, is it because like he he truly believes in death of the artist? Yes, yeah. but also he's like, what would I say that would make you happy? Like nothing. Like, and what it means to me doesn't mean it's going to mean anything to you. I really quickly like it reminds me of something that I initially really poured over and then dismissed as kind of its own gag, which was I don't know if you guys had the initial version of Mulholland Drive on DVD, but he. You know, famously doesn't like chapters on his his movies and DVDs. He doesn't want you to skip ahead. He also obviously doesn't do commentaries and stuff like that. But with the Mulholland Drive DVD, he had 10 clues to solving the mystery. And at at first I was – you know, when I first got it, I didn't know that much about David Lynch. And I'm like, okay, like this is a mystery to be puzzled over. And like now that I think about that, I realize I think it was – it probably did mean something to him, but it's not actually like anything that's useful to anyone where he's like, think about who answers the phone and when. It's yeah, like, it's kind of right. a joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. But like, he thought it was cute to that, play with that, the technology, but he also thought it was yeah. fun to fuck with people. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that that is why the parts of Twin Peaks, uh, the, the parts of Firewalk with me that are as literal as they are, are intentionally super literal. Because he. Yes. He doesn't want there to be any ambiguity about what happened to Laura. Uh, He wants that to be extremely, extremely clear. Um, I'm going to quickly pull up a quote because we were talking about – let me find it. A hundred percent. Just telling you you're right while you're looking up the quote. I support that you are right. Peter's <laughs> right by saying. Oh yeah, here right. it is. So, so um, maybe we'll link it in the show notes. But there's a Grantland article that I passed around in the chat um, that I've read a bunch of times and was really helpful to me when I was first starting to unpack this movie. And in it, 
it references a passage from Lynch on Lynch where Lynch said he's talking about, you know, the the ugly truths that the movie makes you look at. And he says that's what that's what it was all about. The loneliness, the loneliness, shame, guilt, confusion, and devastation of the victim of incest. It also dealt with the torment of the father, the war in him. And like that, he boils it down extremely clearly. Like that is what he wants you to take away from this. There's all this other kind of weirdness and symbolism. And you can go into a bunch of different rabbit holes about like, what else is the connection to the series and what else might connect to, you know, other things entirely. And none of that matters because he the things that are most explicitly literal that some people will argue are too literal and that it's exploitative and inappropriate um and that it's just this torturous ordeal to go through he is making it extremely clear that like no 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 he's doing this because he wants you to empathize he's doing this because he wants you to get in the mindset of someone going through that experience and being able to say like for for two and a half hours, you're going to have a taste of what that's like. Yeah, yeah, I think that's uh, that's very astute. And you know, we we talked a little bit about the funeral scene and the way you know when Bobby kind of says, "Hey, the whole town is cop uh, culpable," mm-hmm. and I think you know that is the ultimate difference between. Twin Peaks the show and Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me that the you know Twin Peaks the show is a shotgun blast that kind of ends up getting you know hits hitting the entire town as as culpable and and Fire Walk with me as we said like it's it's a sniper it's yeah. like yes everyone is accountable for the way that they hurt um Laura for the way that they turned a blind eye for the way that they let um Something they either knew or suspected or didn't allow an escape or stuff like that. But now that I have a chance to kind of wrap it up, I want to be very clear where the source of the pain and the the fact that she – the the rest of the town becomes culpable to this is directed at one very specific person. And, and, you know, I I don't know – care if I would have noticed it as much without reading, you know, your thoughts on the movie, but like the amount of lines that pop up as I referenced earlier of like like Leland as Leland. Yeah. Letting you know, letting uh uh Laura know that I know what I'm doing and whether I'm excusing it through these things or I'm letting you know, you you can take it however you want, whether he is, you know, Bob is a manifestation of 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 Laura trying to disguise it, or Leland using this as a to overpower him, or not even overpower him, but to let in so that he feels less uh, guilt or whatever else for the crimes he's committing. He is doing it, and with a lot of intentionality, and with knowing it, and with a lie that he's told himself that Laura is also um, consensually uh, participating. The same way that that he is, which would be obviously a lie under any possible circumstances. I would also say it's kind of just my my general final thoughts on the series as well, and kind of where where we ended up here, and, and 
kind of what we've been talking about from a Lynch perspective, like, you know, this, um, this in the same way that I think like this show was like one of the best things that could have been done for television at a time. I think, you know, it led to hyperbolic sounding, but I think it led to the explosion of creativity in nineties television shows that I think, you know, Peter, you mentioned there's not a lot you return to of like drama television shows in the eighties and seventies. I think even sometimes comedies are tough to find through there, but I, there's a lot of like nineties and shows that I, I think are easy to return to, including one we're going to talk about next week that has a ton of influence uh, in a lot of different ways with the X files from directly from Twin Peaks, but I think, like, in the same way that, like, Twin Peaks was such a revolution for television, I think you, you can almost look at it where we're at today with the type of TV shows and the binge-watching and stuff like that. Like, it, in some ways, it is, like, I think Lost at, is a good analogy to something that at the time was seen as, like, a new type of Twin Peaks. But the one thing that the Lost creators said throughout is, like, yes, there's a mystery – but we know it all and we're going to explain it all and we're going to answer everything at the end and you're going to be satisfied with where we ended up. We always have a plan. We know where everything's going. You're going to find it all out. And as someone who watched Lost uh, as it aired, it it was a show that as they answered more and more stuff, everything got really stupid and not fun. And the stuff they did answer was not what you expected and stuff like that. And you realize, like, how much better of a show Lost or, or a lot of the type of shows that feel like we can have mysteries, but we have to explain everything um, so that people know, like, how much better they would be served by not explaining where the island comes from or not explaining why these things are happening and giving some clues that you can suss out and interpret through your own perception of the show or personal experiences or something like that, but not feel the need that like to codify every weirdness into a digestible piece of information. And then I think that's why Twin Peaks as a whole still holds that power. And something we've been talking about all tonight is like, yeah, there's stuff there that you can put some pieces together. And yeah, I do get a little bit of that like, oh my God, oh, Heather Graham's in the bed saying to write something in the diary for something that hasn't happened yet. That's so cool. But by not feeling the need to explain something that does have an answer, but it is an answer that exists for Lynch that um, he has doesn't want to put in the show or means something personal to him or isn't necessary for you to take away something from his his work. You ultimately have such a better, a better work of art and a piece of fiction and a, and a tapestry that he's created through that. And it is, it is kind of a bummer as I watch more and more television shows that that seem to kind of take the weirdness or the oddness. Like a, you know, Riverdale is a really good example. It's like, oh, it's like teenage Twin Peaks, okay, but they 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 are missing the part where it's where the, or the confidence of like. I have a vision I want to share with you, much like when I tell someone a dream. Mm-hmm. Some parts are going to make sense to you and some parts aren't. And I, I'm comfortable with that as opposed to trying to literalize every moment of, uh, you know, spiritual or metaphysical oddness. Yeah. Aaron, I completely agree. Um, there's a – at times there's a there's a exchange between the fans and of a product and the creator – that can feel um, 
uh, like almost servile. Um, yeah. And it, it, it ends up being usually kind of pathetic, like trying to, to fully satisfy fans when like your goal should be saying what you set out to say or what your message has evolved to say over the years you were working on, on, on your, your piece of art. Um, <clears throat> and what I've been thinking about with Firewalk with me while I'm watching Twin Peaks, the return, um, which is also, you know, sort of an attempt to uh, continue on a series from its original format and carry with it the, the original fans is um, the Matrix Resurrections just came out. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about The Last Jedi. I've been thinking about these um, attempts by the original creators or new creators <laughs> or new creators to... Um, react to the legacy of the original work. And, um, you know, we just covered Die Hard 4, which was, you know, a, a, sort of an attempt to just keep the the, the, um, the the franchise going. Five was an attempt to just keep the franchise going. Four was good. Five was not. Um, Resurrections and Last Jedi, though, are doing something that I think is similar to what Fire Walk With Me and Twin Peaks The Return are trying to do, which is let's wrangle with... <clears throat> fan expectations and what this what the messages of were of the previous work let's not just uh, a, a attempt to do a soft reboot of what uh, you liked about oh so we took a poll of the what the fans liked about Twin Peaks the first time around and we're gonna try and give you more of that there's gonna be in the first act of this movie kind of feels like it's it's going to offer you that like here's a new weirdo detective and his even weirder partner which we didn't even talk about how good Kiefer Sutherland is in this uh episode he's, he's so early, good early 90s he's, he's such a cutie um I love I love like slightly um agitated like Dark City level Kiefer he's so, Kiefer he's definitely the best so part of of Dark City like his performance in Dark City I mean is is definitely the best performance in in Dark City um the weird, I'm not going to I'm not going to argue with that Yeah Peter Lorre I'm thing. not giving it to Rufus Sewell <laughs> <laughs> Um but uh yeah I uh I feel like when you're talking about the first 20 minutes or so you kind of It's sort of Lynch being like, oh, here's a new murdered girl for you to solve the mystery of. And then they disappear both of those people, or at least they disappear Chester Desmond. And then Sam Stanley maybe goes back to work on a different case. I I didn't quite catch that. Um, Regardless, Lynch is like basically dispensing with the idea that I'm just going to give you a new mystery to solve. Um, And this time we're going to do it in two hours. Um... He is specifically saying with Firewalk with me and with the return thus far, um, something that I see in what Lana Wachowski did with uh, Resurrections, um, albeit I think less successfully because I'm still processing Resurrections, which is like you have put an enormous amount of fan expectations on this thing that was a genuine cultural phenomenon. uh, And you put all that on, on my shoulders when I just wanted to create the work that I wanted to create and like, I probably should have been siloed from those, but you know, when you create a cultural phenomenon, you can't be siloed from reactions. And like you trying to get more work done inherently means you need to work with fan expectations or you need to, um, uh, at least like lie to producers and say, Oh, I'm going to try and recapture the energy that made everybody fall in love with my work originally. Like you in some way need to wrangle or with your past it. when you're yeah. wrangling with your legacy. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and with this and with the return, I feel a similar sort of, 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 of kinship with those creators, or I guess Ryan Johnson was handed the baton um, just to do one movie, but um, where they said, I you know, actually, I'm not super happy with what the original work said, or I'm not actually, I don't think what the work was saying, that conversation is done. And I want to continue that conversation. I want to evolve that conversation. I want to subvert your expectations of that conversation. I'm actually interested in creating another Big Mac for you to consume. Um, I'm not actually interested in just factory assembling you another piece of art that can be easily consumed and forgotten. I'm going to make you something that is a reaction to um, the, the the work. And it has to be a reaction to the work because you're going to be reacting to this work. You're going to be saying, oh, how does this compare to the original? And, and what I'm saying is like, I'm pushing the, the, this thing forward into a new and scary future. And Fire Walk With Me, making it a prequel seems very much like it's a navel-gazing exercise, like Quentin Tarantino called it, like Lynch had crawled up his own ass. I don't know if he's he's recanted this famous famous sort of exchange, but after he was at Khan, Quentin Tarantino said, like, oh, David Lynch has crawled up his ass so far. Like, I'm done with this guy. Quentin um, Tarantino was one to talk. I, I thank you. <laughs> That's exactly what I think I was thinking. Um... The- I want to do what all directors do, which is say the N word. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I, I, I think that like that was also particularly during Quentin Tarantino's like hot headed period. Um, well, it would have been ninety two, right? So it's Reservoir Dogs. So yeah, he's yeah, he's probably at his worst. Yeah, um, most most narcissistic. And uh, I'm not here to like bury Quentin Tarantino for anything, but it was just like that. That was a common reaction at the time. Was like, yeah. oh, he disappeared up his own ass, and it was like, no, it's not narcissistic to create work. That is building off of work that you created. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's your toy. You get to play with it any way you fucking want. And I have so much respect for Twin Peaks. And I love the fact, or Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. And I love the fact that after all these years, it is like in the Criterion Collection. And like, I I think you'd struggle to find a Twin Peaks fan who still thinks it it fully sucks and like would would die on that hill because like I did find one on Letterboxd. Yeah, I I know I know Mike, know. Mike Delange. But, but like nowadays, it's like considered like uncouth to just hate on Fire Walk with me unless you're just like a Lynch hater. Yeah, because like yeah, the, the, its reputation has grown. It needed time. Yeah. The seeds needed to, to 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 develop into you know something new, but like it took it took some time. But like we're there now. Um, this this uh, the, its cultural reputation has been reclaimed, and it's been reclaimed. I don't think necessarily because audiences have like gotten smarter in some sense. Yeah, that sort of. Um, <clears throat> YouTube over analysis of every single clue to try and like sap all the mystery and all of the sort of like uh, noirish shimmering allure uh, out of every single every single cultural product has gotten way way worse um, because people with absolutely no editing experience can put together um, in, in like a you know a cheap studio suite on their MacBook and put together uh, something and post it on YouTube or with absolutely nothing because every computer now comes with a webcam can go on and talk about like oh well this clue means this and then next week their new video after the new episode comes out their new video is like oh 
betrayed by the filmmaker because they didn't fully fulfill my fan theory. Um, in a sense, we live in a worse era for, for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, people are more easily able to connect and, and project louder um, their, their most um, pedantic and childish uh, uh, yelling about um, well, that these, these, these particular uh, fil- filmmakers or creators didn't serve them. Um, now we're kind of in this like, but we're, we're kind of in this thing where like the right people found Firewalk with me. Like yeah. the people that were actually in listening to Lynch as opposed to uh, pointing to a goalpost and saying that's where you're supposed to go. And when you didn't go there, they got mad. Like we, it's finding its right audience. And I think that that's uh, something that's beautiful about art. And it's something that like 25 plus years later, this strange, terrifying, fucked up, depressing movie with an ending that is like if you're engaging with the thematic subtext is uplifting but if you're not engaging with the thematic subtext all you're thinking about is all the suffering laura palmer went through like that's fantastic like i i I love that we are finally at this point where uh firewalk with me is being assessed the way it should have been assessed at con 25 years ago Mm -hmm. 30 years ago (laughs) Oh yeah! Oh, oh my God! Thirty years this year. I just, I just got used to it being two decades yeah, through the twenty first century. I know. Yeah, we didn't plan it, but yeah, this is the thirtieth anniversary year of Firewalk. Jeez, Louise! But yeah, uh, Carrie, what are your final thoughts? Because I ranted forever because I got really, really mad about <laughs> YouTubers. <clears throat> Gosh. Um. So, I think the part of this movie that I connect to the most is how it depicts the the process of coming to terms with something that you didn't want to come to terms with and how that, once you accept that reality, how it then uh, colors everything else that you experience and it starts to... Uh, show you discomfort that has been around you the whole time that you haven't really been attuned to. I think that uh, the movie does a really masterful job of that by um, after the scene where Laura sees her father coming out of the house when she's hiding out behind the bushes, the next time she sees him is when she comes back home and they have that dinner scene and he starts fixating on her hands and he uh, walks over to her and he's grabbing her necklace and uh, it, it becomes this whole big thing. And the it's, it's the most relatable scene to me in the movie because it's not about the mysticism. It's not about possession. It's not about the black lodge it's about like this this you know young person is uh realizing something terrible and in complete utter fear from dialogue that out of context could be pretty mundane but it's the subtext that is in this case extremely clear and it, it it doesn't it never has to get too direct 
for her to know exactly what is happening underneath the surface. And the idea, I mean, that's, you know, in my own experience, it, it was always, it was always the subtext. It was always the things that weren't directly said that felt the most troubling. And I think that uh, David Lynch and Shirley and Ray Wise do such an incredible job yeah. of showing so- – and here's, here's the other thing. The topics that this movie talks about are not things that people are comfortable talking about. And there is a lot of stigma – I mean, you know, with – with Me Too and everything, there's there are a lot more people talking about uh, sexual trauma now than maybe there's ever been. But this particular type of sexual trauma is still so stigmatized, and it's something that yeah. people really don't want to talk about and really don't want to spend much time thinking about. And the ways in which it can come up in conversation, it's... It's very easy to watch people shut down. And I really appreciate this movie doesn't let you shut down. It wants you to see everything and it doesn't want to doesn't want to completely trigger you or ruin your day, but it wants you to look at it directly um, and think about it. And let this be a part of your reality for the duration of the film and allow for building of empathy for something that often doesn't get that treatment. Um, I can't really think of any other movie that does something similar to this in, in yeah. for this issue in particular. Um, and I just... And I, I can't even imagine how you could do it better than this. I can't imagine what it would take for it to get more real without it becoming too much, without it becoming something yeah. that is then unwatchable. This is this movie walks the line where it makes it an experience that you can sit through, that you can watch, while still never shying away from the truth of it. And I think that that is, uh, I, I think it's one of the most masterful films I've ever seen, um, specifically because it's able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Could not agree more. And, you know, uh, thank you so much again for, for joining us on this episode. Thank, thank um, you. I mean, I, you know, I, I know that, Obviously, I know that you didn't you di- you you didn't tell me anything that you did or didn't want me to talk about, but I also <laughs> think I also think that on some level subconsciously you probably knew what asking me to talk about this movie would mean yeah. and you know it means a lot to me that you wanted to give me that space and um you know, I'm grateful for that. 
Carrie, you may be the only person on Earth that if you wanted to come on our show and talk about NFTs, I'd at least think about it. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, if you wanted I, to come I, on and just talk about and just talk about James riding motorcycles for two hours, yeah. uh, would have would have still been an episode I was very happy to put out. So, um, have to say, uh, still like we said earlier, extremely proud that you trusted us with this, and uh, yeah, thank you so so much for coming on again. Thank you. Um, guys and i mean peter i don't know if you know this but uh you, you might not remember what uh they're joining us for next time but it will be uh one of the first times i think oh, yeah now i'm trying to remember that it might not be traumatic carrie do you know what you've booked next with us do you remember uh <laughs> no what wait what are we doing next no, it's, a- it's april we talked about it the thing about our show, and this this can be a surprise for Peter too, is that we uh, Peter and I, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, at some point bifurcated responsibilities, <laughs> um, and so he does all of the website stuff, which I never did. I that is not an area where even the the he's though he's tried to explain how to update it. I'm like, you know what? Uh, why don't I just throw it in a pot and uh, <laughs> never think about it because I don't understand how anything works. Uh, yes, I do work for a software company. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, uh, but somewhere along the line, I just started maintaining the schedule and, like, who's doing what. So it's been months since we talked about this, Carrie. But in April, you did agree to join us to talk about uh, Valerian. Oh, hell fucking yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so, I'm so excited. I don't, think there's, I, don't, yes. I don't think there's any dead moms. No, 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 no. I'm try- that's I mean, what I was trying di- to remember. The di- like, I is mean, there dead the, moms? The director's a creepy guy, but that's fine. Oh yeah, that's but we've right. but we've talked about creepy uh, guys before. It's all good. Yeah, yeah, we've talked. We've definitely talked about creepy. You've joined us on. <laughs> did you join us on a Mad Max? I forget. No, hell no. No, that's probably good. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot we're doing this. I'm so excited. Yes. Uh, so you will be back on in a, in a couple months uh, to talk about a <laughs> yeah very different different movie. type <laughs> very different also somewhat an overwhelming movie yes. but for very different reasons. Uh, if they missed at the beginning, Carrie, where can they watch your show? You can tune in on Tuesdays uh, at eight p.m. on PBS. And I think they all. I think the episodes are also streaming online at pbs.org. Uh, the show is Finding Your Roots. It is a show where uh, Doctor Doctor Henry Louis Gates Jr. tells all different kinds of public figures and celebrities about their ancestry and genealogy. It is honestly, it, 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 at least in comparison to what we've been talking about for the last couple hours, it's a very wholesome, heartwarming show <laughs> that will be a palate cleanser. For all of your disturbing lynchisms. And uh, (laughs) I hope you check it out. (laughs) Yeah, I I wish I had gotten your episode in uh, before I had gone to bed after I walked with me (laughs) uh, as a palate cleanser before bed because uh, I didn't sleep well that night. But your episode wasn't out yet. so It's it's uh, waiting for you. Yeah, don't, don't make my mistake, folks. Make sure you get in on this. Next week, we're wrapping up When the Small Becomes Big month with a little show that is directly influenced by Twin Peaks, both in casting, uh, cinematography, and the idea of 
uh, a lot of mysteries that never get solved. And when they do, um, when they finally give in and solve a couple mysteries here and there, it's not the most satisfying. But I, there's still a lot left in the imagination. And that is X-Files Fight the Future, which uh, was a theatrical release in the summer of 1998. And actually a big hit that came between seasons five and season six of the X-Files. Uh, and with that, again, our least traumatic uh, movie, unless you are to have a bee allergy, I guess. <laughs> be- Peter hasn't caught up with it yet. I don't. Peter, do you remember how much bees play into the part? Uh, like, never the, seen this movie. Plot? I just remember that it's very what? bee focused. Oh my gosh! This has been the month. I promise to uh, be attentive stuff. when I watch the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. You want to ma- you want to make sure you're oil over it. Oh, there's some of the black oil. oil. You'll get it. Yeah. Anyways, it's a great joke. Um, you guys have a... Have, now, on that note, I hope everyone has a pleasant night's sleep and a wonderful night. Yes. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you so much for listening to we love to watch if you made it to the end hopefully you liked what you heard today and if you'd like to hear more please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch and if you can chip in a few bucks that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward uh it wasn't an implicit threat by peter he just didn't know how to say it but either way we'll continue to make more but it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going which is all on server space uh <laughs> If you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show, we truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years uh we really do appreciate you uh with kisses and smooches peter and aaron (laughs)